1: Hey everybody, this is Pepsi Mama, yay! And I'm welcoming you to Sunday, March 6th, episode of Arts, the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. And that Sunday is S-U-N-D-A-E. And uh, you'll find out the reason I call it that is because while I'm on here, I sit up and make an imaginary Sunday, and you can do the same thing or make up a real one, whichever one you want to do if you want to do it at all and uh <laughs> but uh part of the reason I do it is because it's it's kind of therapeutic for, for me. I have type two diabetes, so I can come on here every Sunday and put together an imaginary Sunday and uh just have a ball eating it and it doesn't bother my sugar at all so <laughs> and it's just kind of fun so uh, I'll be doing that today uh, I'd like for you to subscribe to uh, to us on Facebook and uh, Twitter and YouTube well like us on Twitter and Facebook or and uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook on YouTube subscribe to us uh at uh whose blind life is it anyway? And if you don't like doing YouTube and Facebook, you can you're welcome to um, you're welcome to listen to us on whatever podcast platform you like and we're hoping uh in March to have it set up to where uh you can either subscribe to the whole Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway channel, or you can subscribe subscribe to just the podcasts that you like. So, um, he's hoping to have that up and going by uh, that time. Uh, by he, I mean Victor Gouveia, my guru. Without him, I couldn't do this every week. Uh, but kick back and enjoy the show and uh you know leave us comments and uh let us know what you like uh what you don't like just uh feel free to let me know uh and if you if it's something that you want uh if I don't have it in my repertoire then I'll be able to I'll find it for you so, the first thing that we're going to do is called, yeah, Adventure Parade, and it's called The Razorbacks. I don't know why I can't ever remember that, but I can. I have to I have to keep looking it up. Um, but uh, anyway, I hope you didn't hear my jaws in the background, because I got it turned down. But it's a cute little show. It's about, oh, maybe 15 minutes long, give or take a few, and I'm pretty sure I heard Mel Blanc in it. Uh that Elmer Fudd voice. Nobody does it like him. Of course he wasn't playing Elmer, but he you know that he was using that voice for whatever character he was playing. So uh y'all kick back, have a good time, and I'll see you in a few
2: Adventurers attention. All in for Adventure Parade! The Mutual Broadcasting System cordially invites all adventurers from 6 to 60 to join in its parade of the world's most famous stories. Stories of action, mystery, and adventure! <laughs> And here is your host and storyteller, the leader of Adventure Parade, Roger Elliott. Thank you, George Hogan, and hello, adventurers. Today we continue with the third in our series of true animal adventure stories. You remember we're bringing you this series as a tribute to a wonderful organization. But for the sake of any new listeners, uh, George, will you carry on? Well, this is National Boy Scout Week. They're celebrating their 37th birthday. And the writer of the stories, Ernest Thompson Seton, was one of the founders of the Boy Scouts. As a matter of fact, Mr. Seton was Chief Scout for five years, besides being a fine writer, too. It's a real pleasure to pay tribute to the Boy Scouts of America. i bringing you his delightful animal stories. What's our story about today, Roger? And today's story is about a bear, the Cogers Crick Bear, and his feud with the hero of the tale, a razor-backed hog. And now for the third of Ernest Thompson Seton's true animal stories, the story of foam, a razor-backed hog. His mother was just an ordinary razor-backed hog in the woods of South Virginia long-legged and long-snouted, strong in shoulder, hard and tight in flanks, and equipped with sharp white tusks that were enough to inspire terror in any dog that dared to try her. She roamed in the glades by Plenty's farm during summer, and when winter food was scarce, she knew a half-hearted allegiance to the Plenty barnyard. There one morning, a brood of cowering pink-nosed piglets crowded against her, looking suspiciously at the world outside. Among them was one staunch rollicker, who got his name because the sight of danger brought his bristles up, so he chopped his little fox-like jaws till they foamed. And therefore he was named Foamy Chops, or Foam. Now, Lisette Prunty had wandered one day to Cogers Creek for June strawberries, and she kept going further on until she heard suddenly a loud snip-snip. The brushwood swayed and out stepped. A huge black bear. And poor Lisette was terror-stricken. She could neither move nor run. She simply stood and gazed, and so did the bear, snarling a little. Then the tall grass parted again, and the old razorback mother and her lively brood pushed out. The black monster dropped on all fours and charged the mother and her brood. The fierce war grunts of the mother might have struck terror into any but the bear, for the razorback had mighty jaws and sturdy legs. She had backed into a protecting bush, making only a head-on attack possible. And the bear growled menacingly as he walked this way and that, with the mother's champing jaws aimed however he went. Then he began a short charge and stopped. The mother made her mistake. She charged, ripped his arm and bit his paw.
3: But he was on her,
2: stunning her with a terrible blow and raking her sides. He gripped her in a fierce embrace that robbed her of fighting breath. And as they closed, Lisette turned and fled for home. Lisette flew to her father and told him what was happening at Coger's Creek. They started out together with dog and gun. But turkey buzzards were sailing over the place as they drew near. They found the old back dead, and her limp brood scattered along the creek bank. Lisette began to cry, but suddenly the dog broke into a tirade at something far under the bushes. And there, bravely facing him, stood a little red-headed piglet, chopping with his tiny jaws until the foam flew. Poor little foamy chop. He was so hungry so forlorn and his nose was so sore where the bear had scratched him he didn't even know that Lisette was his friend and he champed his little jaws defiantly when she put him in a box beside the kitchen stove she washed his wounded nose while he crouched in dull motionless despair then she brought him a warm bottle and he could no more help sucking than any baby could when the bottle was empty he slept the long sweet sleep he so much needed before his tail began to curl, Foam learned that Lisette meant food. Next he found that he could bring Lisette, that is, food, if he squealed. And thenceforth, his daily practice developed a mighty voice. And so he grew out of his box and into a runway. He became so frisky that he was allowed to run free, coming when Lisette whistled, racing across the garden or out of sheer caprice, hiding and watching her search for him. One day, Lisette was blacking her shoes with some wonderful polish that dried quite shiny. Foam had tried in vain to get her attention. He'd tumbled a lamb on its side, he'd scared chickens, and run around Lisette. At last, he raised himself on both hind legs and put his front feet on the chair beside Lisette's foot, grunting as if to say, please give me some. And so she painted his front feet with the blacking which dried in a minute, and Foam's pale pink hoofs were made a splendid, shining black. The operation had been pleasantly ticklesome, and Foam blinked his eyes, but didn't move till it was over. Then he gravely smelled his right foot and his left foot and grunted again. Thereafter, whenever Lisette got out the brush and blacking, Foam was there to sniff the queer smell and offer his feet for treatment. There were two companions in Foam's life. A duck and a lamb, strange creatures that Foam inspected narrowly out of his white-rimmed eyes with distrust and a little jealousy. But they proved pleasant people to sleep with. They kept him so warm, and soon he devised ways of enjoying them as playthings. The lamb's tail was long and pullable, and the duck could be tossed over his shoulder by a well-timed rope. Now, there are rogues among elephants, idlers among beavers. Mangy man-eaters among tigers. And there are outlaws among bears. Creatures at war with all the world, making themselves known by their evil deeds, finding pleasure in destruction. The Cougar's Crick Bear was one of these. He wandered about doing all the mischief he could, smashing down fences, little sheds, or field crops that he couldn't eat for the pleasure of destroying. Them. But his main taste was for flesh. Calf's flesh he loved, but he wouldn't dream of facing a cow. He delighted in robbing birds' nests. He'd work half a day to get at a family of flying squirrels. But his favorite food was pork. A wonderfully keen nose had the Cougar's bear. He wasn't far from the puppies when the soft breeze rippling through the dawn woods brought him the sweet, alluring smell of pig. And he followed it, swinging his black head as he sifted out the invisible trail from the others on the wind. Marvelously silent as the bear when going through the woods. And Coger's bear reached the fronties swiftly and noiselessly, led at last to the little paddock where Foam was sleeping with his head across the woolly back of the lamb. The bear surveyed the fence, and finding no opening, proceeded to climb over. But it wasn't meant for such a hulk of flesh. The paling swayed, yielded, fell, and the bear was in the paddock. If foam had been slower or the lamb had been quicker, everything would have been different. The bear rushed forward, foam darted aside, the lamb sat still. A heavy blow from the bear's paw put an end to its ever-moving again, just as foam disappeared through the hole in the fence. The noise had roused the household. Hunty went out with his gun and dogs, with Lisette whistling for foam. They found the body of the lamb far back on the trail, but of foam, there was no trace. Lisette's playmate was gone the razorback who had played round her like a puppy, a puppy who weighed 150 pounds. But he was really reviving the wild ways of his ancestors, long lost in sodden prison pens. Home had gone back to the woods. It's a long, dusty road from Dan River Bridge to Mayo Valley by Coker's Creek. Yet down its whole length, there trotted one day a sleek young razorback. She was barely full-grown, shaped in body and limbs like a deer, and clad in a close coat of glistening grizzly hair that flashed in the sun. Down the long hike she trotted, swinging her sensitive nose, cocking her ears this way and that, making a careful smell study of posts that edged her trail. She stopped at many a crossroad, and she studied many a breeze, but she kept on trotting until evening saw her in the woods that lie beyond the lower bridge of Cogler's Creek. She paused there at Foam's scratching post, and as she stood, Foam charged out of the woods, gold-red mane bristling. The gray razorback, Grizel hadn't known until he stood there what had brought her along the trail, but she knew now that she'd found it. And so the woods around Cogers Creek soon sounded with the eager talk and the busy hoofs of Grizel's brood. And the smallest, little runny, failing to follow closely one day, fell to the Cogers Creek bear, so that the bear took to following the family at a safe distance. It was on one such day that Foam heard a high-pitched squeal of terror in the bushes to one side, and his eyes turned green with rage. He lunged through the bushes. There, black and fierce, was a bear standing half out in the open. Foam faced him fiercely, and behind and beside Foam was a smaller Razorback Rizell. The others of the brood were hidden in the near thicket of Alda. The bear strode in a circle toward them, but Foam swung round, them, so they stood and faced each other. It was just a little curl of snarl upon the scabby nose of the coca-cricked bear, and the hog, high standing on his wide-braced legs, made bigger by the standing mane on his crested back, his snout held low, his twinkling eyes alert, his great tusks gleaming, and his jaws going chop-chop while chop, the foam that gave him his baby name was flecked on the massive jaw. The bear made to charge, and foam darted out, thud, with the huge paws, and deep, short gasps, of leather the blows staggered, but didn't down Foam, and his white knives flashed with upward slash the stroke that seeked the vital.
1: They reeled apart. The hog was bruised, but the bear had half
2: a dozen beating rips. Again they closed, and the bear flung all his bark on foam, trying to throw him by his weight. The foam was stout and ripped, ripped at the soggy belly till the bear flinched, curled, and shrank in pain. Again they faced the blow. The bear sprang on Foam's back, heaving down with all his might. Slash went those long ivory knives, but Foam was going down. And then another struck the bear. Grisel was on him with all her force. The bear lurched back. She seized his hinder paw and crunched. Foam heaved the monster from his back and turned and slashed and tore. So the bear went down at last, with two like demons tearing, rending, carving. He clutched the standing branch, but they dragged him down and knived and heaved until the dull screams died. All movement ceased. And the Kogar's bear was a bloody, muddy mass. But Foam came quickly to himself, he turned wholly calm. The little pigs came out fearfully to root at the fallen pole, rushing away in fright at a fancied sign of life. While Grizel came close to foam and then called her brood away. They rollicked off together, foam last of all, with strength unspent and head held high. Oh, oh, oh. So ends the third of our true adventure tales by Ernest Thompson Seaton, famous naturalist, writer, and grand old man of the Boy Scouts of America. I keep wanting the stories to go on, Roger. You know, I'd like to know what uh, Foam does next. Well, I guess that's the best test of a good story, George. And you'll be just as interested in tomorrow's story. A wolf who was a king. Lobo, king of the Karumpa. Until then, so long. So long, Roger. We'll all be listening tomorrow, same time, same station. For another true story by Ernest Thompson Seton, On Mutual's Adventure Parade Roger Elliott leads the Adventure Parade At this same time over many of these mutual stations Every weekday afternoon, Monday through Friday Be sure to listen for the world's most famous stories of action, mystery, and adventure on Adventure Parade. Roger Elliott is also your host at the House of Mystery, heard on most of these mutual stations each Sunday afternoon. Adventure Parade is produced and directed by Robert and Jessica Maxwell. Music is composed and played by John Garth. Ernest Thompson's speaking story for today is adapted for Adventure Parade by Anne Lawrence. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
1: Next I have The Air Adventures of Jimmy Allen And it's about the same length as the last one And Jimmy is this little boy who flies around in airplanes And uh, it's called Killing Balu, And they're going after this bad guy named Baloo And so they get him in the end I think And um, so I think this thing was done in parts I'm not sure but if it is, and if you liked it, then I'll go back and try to get the whole thing. Uh, cause you know how some of those, like Superman, are in parts, and uh, so. Anyway, I'll I'll check it out if you if you would like for me to. Um. Anyway, enjoy the air adventures of Jimmy Allen.
4: Again, we return to Jimmy Allen's Air Adventures. Jimmy and Speed Robertson, you will remember, were in the air taking part in a furious night dogfight, the sensational climax to an air movie. Nails Ballou had previously reported that Harry Phelps had fallen from his plane. There is no doubt in the minds of Speed and Jimmy that Ballou deliberately killed Phelps, but they are unable to prove it. But they, with the Englishman Ramsey and Roy Phelps, Harry's son, are now acquainted with Baloo's terrible secret. That while a pilot in the war, Baloo is a treacherous spy working both for the United States and Germany at the same time. Baloo is out to kill the four who are on their guard. He attacks Jimmy and Speed using real bullets in his machine guns instead of blanks, but the two chums drive him off. Then he attacks Roy Phelps, and Ramsey comes to the boy's rescue. Baloo sweeps upward... In an attempt to get Ramsey in his gun sights and his P-51 staggers momentarily in a stall. In that instant, Roy Phelps dives with terrific speed and crashes directly into Baloo's cockpit. Jimmy and Speed, roaring toward the two ships in their P-61, are sick with apprehension.
5: Speed! Speed, Roy's gone!
4: I'm afraid so, Jim. I don't believe either of them could survive that crash.
5: Look, the two planes are locked together my guys, Jim, that's fantastic. Why, they've come together in such a way they're still partly airborne. Instead of spinning
4: down there, they're kind of spiraling down slowly like one plane. Come on, let's get over there. Can't you get any more speed out of this crate?
5: The throttle's wide open speed. I'm getting every inch out of her I can. Uh, I don't know we can do anything, but I'd like to, like to get as close as I can. We'll be there in a second. Now, watch it, Jim. Those two ships may start spinning. I see it. I'll circle around him in the bank, and, and we'll keep level with him as they go down. Now hold the ship in this bank. It's just right. Oh, what's the matter with him, Steve? Oh, Roy, why don't you jump? Hurry, Roy, jump! I'm afraid they're both knocked unconscious by that crash if they weren't killed outright. Well, Lou got it much worse than Roy, Speed, See? front of Roy's motor is almost inside Baloo's cockpit. Yeah, and
4: Roy's prop blades have almost chewed Baloo's fuselage in two. Well,
5: oh, but if Roy doesn't come to in time to jump and pull his ripcord, there's not a chance in the world for him. Not a single one, Jimmy. If we could only do something, Steve. Isn't there something we could do?
4: I don't know about a thing
5: except to pray. What altitude are you at now, Jim? 12,000 feet. How well, thick are these clouds? Oh, about 3 or 4,000 feet. All right, here's what you're going to do. Just as we
4: start going through these clouds, you veer off, stick your nose down, and dive almost vertically.
5: After you've gone about 2,000, do a half turn and keep on. That should bring us out just beneath where Baloo and Roy should come out of these clouds. Being in that wide, flat spiral, they won't lose altitude as fast. Oh, look, Steve. Neither Roy nor Baloo have moved yet. You know, every time we get close to him, I can see right into the cockpit. Malou seems to have crumpled up at the bottom. He's almost out of sight. Yeah, he
4: just seems to be slumped over a little. We could only do something, Jim. I don't think Roy's hurt very badly. He's only knocked out. If he could come to, he'd have a good chance.
5: All right, now watch it. We're almost to the clouds.
4: Okay, I sure hope none of these other ships have the same idea we have.
5: What do you say we'd be the first to dive into the clouds? They'll see us and know what we're trying to do then.
4: That's good. Stick your nose down and hop to it.
5: Okay. Here we rip.
4: get some of these over here pretty high. I'm not forgetting,
5: speed. Look, I think we're coming out now. Yeah, we better. I know this plane's not going to stand much more of this dive. I know it. The whole ship's vibrating. It's always going to go to pieces. Here we come, though. There, we're out. Hey, watch it, watch it. Don't try to pull out too quick. You'll snap a wing. I know, but I don't want to lose too much altitude. Now, ah, take it easy. Sure, we're down below these clouds. Yeah, that's the stuff you can start leveling off. Can you see the ground? Yeah, I can barely make it out. I think we've got three or 4,000 feet to spare, Speed. The clouds were moving over toward our field anyway. Now, these must be those low foothills not far from El Toque. Pull up now, Jim, to about a 1,000 feet below those clouds, and keep your eyes upstairs. Okay. Oh, look, Speed, look. What's that? Whereabouts? Right over there to the right. You see that dark shape? Uh, Yeah, that's not below and Roy. It's not big enough. I can make it out now. It's that measurement It must be Ramsey. Oh, he must have dived through the clouds right after we did. Yeah, that's what he did. Well, look, up there to the left. Yeah, hey, give your engine wide open throttle, Jim, and pull up. I think that's Roy and Ballou. Okay. Yeah, that's a 51 in the ME, all right. Still locked together. Wait a second. I'll pull up as close as I can. Get in that bag again, but be hard to see it's so dark here under the clouds and I don't take any chances kid don't get too close there I can see him now the ships are still spiraling down at the same rate of speed yeah and I'll keep going like that till they hit the ground the balloon looks just the same but speed Boy's move are you sure absolutely his left arm was outside the side window and now it's inside yeah, maybe he's thrown inside with the motion of the flame I don't think so And his body isn't quite in the same position why, uh, George, Jim, you're right. Roy wouldn't hurt badly. He was only stunned. Oh, if he'll only come too long enough to jump. Oh, he's got to. We can't let him be killed. Come on, Roy. Quick, snap out of it. Roy, jump. Jump before it's too late. Uh, he's got to hurry or he won't have a prayer. Look down below. That ground's coming up terrifically fast. I know it, Speed. I know it. Oh, isn't there anything we can do? Not a thing in the world. on! Oh, look. look over there, Speed. Roy's moving. See, he's lifting his head. And hey, you're right. He's beginning to come too. He's glancing around him. Come on, Roy. Hurry! I think he's beginning to realize what's happened. Yeah, he sees us. Motion to him, Jim. Motion to him to jump. Okay. Jump, Roy. See? Down. Get out of that ship and jump. He understands it. Oh, hurry, Roy, hurry. Yeah, he's unbuckling his belt. Hey, he's standing up for the escape hatch and he's pushing it back. He's got it now, I think. There he goes. He's away. It'll be a miracle if he doesn't hit that tail. He's past it, on, well, Don't pull your ripcord too quick, Roy. You'll get tangled with that wreckage. Oh, he's gotta pull it. The ground's so close, it'll be a miracle if he makes it. Hurry, Roy, hurry! Jerk that ripcord. Come on, level the ship out, Jim, we'll crack up ourselves. Okay. Hooksby. Roy shoot's opening. It's open hit the ground, see? The chute's collapsing. Ah, oh, the wreck of those two ships is coming down right by him. Oh, speed, I'm afraid Roy's going to be killed anyway. Yeah, they're going to hit. Oh, Roy sees them, though. He's trying to get out of the way. got yeah, they hit. Oh, boy, what a crash. Oh, but Roy got out of the way in time. He's all right, see? Come on, dive down near him, Jim. Dive down near him. All right. Oh, well, but wait a minute. Can't we land? Ah, no, nah, it's too heavy here. they isn't in the chance. All right, here we are. a follow of a little circle and waggle these wings. He just below us truck out for him. He'll understand what we mean. Now he understands. See, he's waving back. Okay, now make for home with wide open throttle. Okay. As soon as I land, I'll get a truck and go out after him. Okay, I'll get in touch with Stuart
4: and Milligan. Well, hello, Jim. How's Roy? Pretty badly shaken up, I suppose. Oh, yes, he was,
5: Speed, but, well, he's okay now. He's a game boy, Speed. What about Baloo? Roy rushed to the wreck at once, but he said Baloo was... Well, he's dead. Yeah, just an unfortunate accident, Jim. And Ramsey told Milliken that he saw the whole thing and that that it couldn't have been helped. Ramsey's right, Speed. It was, like you said, one of those unfortunate air accidents that'll happen in stunt flying. The same sort of thing that happened, well, to, to Roy's father.
4: That's right, Jim. That's what we told the sheriff, and he seems satisfied. How about the picture, Speed? Did they get the rest of those night scenes? Hey, I'll say so. Hank says they're the best air action scenes he ever filmed in his life. You know, he caught the crash of the two planes together, and then he kept grinding until they disappeared in the clouds. Now, the story will have to be changed slightly, but the scene will make a wonderful climax. Will they need any more flying? Uh, we're all finished, Jim. You know, Milliken says this
5: will be the greatest combat picture ever filmed. Oh, gee, that's swell. That's great. Well, Speed, what do you say we go back to Kansas City tomorrow? You know, we we may get some word from the monsoon people about that race. Well, that suits me fine, Jim. We'll grab ourselves a Grand National Airways ship in the morning. That Transcontinental Air Race is going to require my attention from now on. You know, I've been thinking, Speed. How about taking Roy along with us? You can get him a job with Grand National Airways. Well... Okay, we'll do it. Oh, that's swell. He'll be the happiest fellow in the world. Well maybe not the happiest. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Jim? Well, if I get a chance to fly in that Vanderpool Cup race, I'll be the happiest. Okay, kid.
4: Just keep your fingers crossed. Remember, anything can happen in plan Come in.
5: Mr. Robertson?
4: Yeah, I'm Robertson.
5: Here's a telegram for you.
4: Okay. Here you are, son.
5: Gee, thanks.
4: Oh, gee, Speed, I...
5: I wonder if it has anything to do with... Oh, I didn't uh,
4: even wait. But remember, I said to keep your fingers crossed, Jim. Well, listen to this. Your recommendation appreciated. Stop. We'll follow your advice. Stop. How do you like that? Have Jimmy Allen report to her factory immediately prepared to fly our airplane in Vanderpool Transcontinental Race. Stop. Now, listen to this. If Allen can win for us, we will give him all prize money and trophy. Oh, who do you think that's signed by, Jim. That's signed Monsoon Aircraft Engine Corporation. What great, great news for Jimmy Allen. Another dream come true. He is going to fly in the famous transcontinental race for the Vanderpool Trophy. There's bound to be excitement in the next episode of The Air Adventures of Jimmy Allen.
1: This next one, folks, I just love Fanny Bryce. She plays baby Snooks. A very precocious little girl, and uh, <clears throat> I think if she was mine, I'd have her thrown under a bus or something. <laughs> but no, really, she's cute doing that part. But uh, uh, I'm not sure how old Fanny Bryce was when she played Baby Snooks. For some reason, I want to think she was at least a teenager, uh, but but she plays this real little girl. and uh, But anyway, it's cute, and it's called Baby Brother.
4: Daddy, played by Hanley Stafford, has had a hard day at the office. He's trying to read his newspaper in the study, but
6: Snooks has been constantly running in and out. Daddy's patience is rapidly becoming
4: exhausted. Listen. Kid can't sit still a minute. Like trying to rest in a boiler factory.
7: I'm down, oh, here she down. comes again. <laughs> Excuse me, Daddy.
4: Snooks, you've been in and out of this room for ten times.
7: Have I? Yes,
4: and every time you come back, you cross between my feet and the
5: chair they're resting on.
4: I don't like it.
7: Why?
5: Because I don't like having to take my feet off.
7: Can you take your feet off, Daddy? I mean off the chair.
4: Why don't you walk around me?
7: It's too easy.
4: I thought so. Well, I'm warning you. Don't disturb me anymore. Understand?
7: Understand. Oh, stop that singing. Um, all right. Daddy. What is it? Who's London?
2: London is the name of a city.
7: Ain't it a man? No. Then well, why is it bridges for him now? <laughs> it's not British. it's bridge.
4: London Bridge. Did you hear something?
7: It's that kid of yours.
4: Robespierre. He's crying. I'll see what it is.
7: Yeah. All he does is holler. No. what do you think? What?
4: You can't imagine what's happened to little Robespierre.
7: His nose got off.
4: No, he's got a tooth. His first tooth. Come and have a look at it. Oh. Your little brother.
7: I ain't got no little brother.
4: You haven't got a little brother.
7: No, I divorced him.
4: I never heard of such nonsense. Snooks, I can't understand why you don't show any affection at all for little Pierre. I
7: don't like him.
4: Well, why not?
7: He hollers too much. Well, of
4: course he cries a lot. But that's only his way of letting us know that he wants something.
7: Well, why don't he ask for it?
4: Snooks, you know as well as I do that infants can't talk. Why? Because nobody talks until he's at least a year old.
7: That ain't what you said to Uncle Louie.
4: What did I say to Uncle Louis?
7: You said you cursed the day you was born. That has nothing to do with it.
4: Come on and have a look at your brother's new
7: tooth. No. Pull it out and bring it here. Why,
4: you little savage. You'll be sorry for treating your brother like this.
7: Why?
4: He's crying. I'm going in there. Are you coming?
7: All right. But I want to take a quick look.
4: Don't make too much noise. He's still half asleep.
7: He stopped, Daddy. Yes. Shh.
4: Look at that little angel.
2: (laughs) What a beautiful complexion.
7: Looks like a lobster.
4: (laughs) Well, he is a little red.
7: His only baby's face is red?
4: Oh, no. Sometimes grown people's faces get
2: red.
7: Why? Oh, for
2: various reasons. Mostly a person's face turns red when he's ashamed.
7: Uh, Daddy? Yes. Why does Uncle Louis only get ashamed in your nose?
4: We won't discuss that now.
7: Why? Shh.
4: Maybe Robespierre will open his mouth. Then you can see his tooth.
7: Stick a pin in him.
3: I should say
4: not. How can you think of hurting that little mite? He's so sweet and innocent. Snooks, take a good look at him. You know? You may be looking at a future president. I wonder what the fates have in store for him. Maybe he'll be a famous artist. Or a physician. I know he's going to make us all proud. You'll be happy to point him out as your brother. (laughs) Look
2: at that firm little chin. That well-shaped head.
4: Ah, what
7: a child.
4: Snooks. You're thinking, aren't you? Yes, Daddy. I thought so. What are you thinking about?
7: How long is a snake's tail? <laughs> ah. You haven't got an ounce of sediment in your body. Ah, he's boring again. Oh, look,
4: look, Snooks. Right there in front. See the tooth? Isn't it wonderful?
7: What's wonderful about it? Well,
4: it's his first tooth.
7: Can he take it out?
4: Oh, of course not. Nobody takes the teeth out.
7: You always Never mind them. that.
4: <laughs> my teeth have nothing to do with you.
7: Why do you put them in a glass?
4: No. <laughs> oh, I'll thank you not to bandy my teeth about. I'm not as young as I used to be, and these things happen.
7: Why? Well, let me explain something
4: to you. To begin with, whether you like it or not, in a very short time, all of your teeth will fall out.
7: <laughs> I like it. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. I'll stick them in a pumpkin for Halloween. <laughs> Very funny. All I'm trying
4: to tell you is that your mouth is full of deciduous teeth. I
7: don't taste nothing. Well, of course not.
4: It just means you lose them. They're milk teeth.
7: Can I milk them? <laughs> no.
4: And remember, sir, when a tooth falls out, put it under your pillow.
7: What
4: for? Well, a brownie will come while you're asleep and turn the tooth into a dime.
7: I want to put one out
4: now. Oh, don't be silly. I'm just trying to impress on your mind that teeth are vitally important to your health. You know how many types of teeth there are? No. Well, there's the incisors, the canines, the bicuspids, the molars, and later on you'll get wisdom teeth.
7: Wisdom teeth? Yes. When did you get yours?
4: Mine came very late. As a matter of fact, I didn't get my wisdom teeth until uh, after I was married.
7: Too late, huh?
4: <laughs> it's not necessary to make those remarks. Young kids, uncanny. uh uh-huh. Nothing. Snooks! Don't try to loosen your teeth.
7: I oh, ought pull one out.
4: Oh, what for?
7: I want the brownie to change it into a dime. Oh, your teeth
4: are still too tight. You'll have to be patient.
7: Oh. It's Ropes, P.S., teeth, looser than mine.
4: Oh, I suppose so. Now, let's go back to the stuff.
7: You go, Daddy. I want to stay here a while. (laughs) Snooks,
4: what have you got in your mind? Nothing. Are you thinking of tampering with the baby's tooth?
7: Who, me? Now, don't put on that innocent
4: face. Were you actually going to... to... Oh, I can't say it.
7: I'm going to say it, Danny. Pull a baby's tooth.
4: Snooks, you weren't.
7: <laughs> Does he eat meat? No. Well, get the idea?
4: I think I do.
3: Uh,
4: Snooks, uh, step outside with me. You uh, realize what terrible thoughts you've been harboring?
7: Mm Uh-huh.
2: Is there anything you'd care to say in your defense?
7: No. Shall I turn over?
4: There's no alternative.
7: (laughs) Ain't it awful?
4: Oh, here we go
8: again. (laughs)
1: Next, I have NBC University Theater, and I have a uh, rendition of Alice in Wonderland here starring Dinah Shore. And it was kind of interesting. Uh, and mm, so I'll see what y'all think about it. Mm-hmm.
9: This is the NBC University Theater, bringing you a seasonal play in the holiday spirit, a story beloved by the young and heart of every generation. We present the Lewis Carroll classic, Alice in Wonderland, starring Dinah Shore as Alice. Once upon a time in England, while Victoria was queen, there lived a dignified gentleman named the Reverend Charles Dodgson, M.A., who taught mathematics at Oxford and wrote books with titles like The Condensation of Determinants. The Reverend Dodgson had another name which probably almost everybody has heard at least once, and this is how the respectable Oxford clergyman came to lead a double life. In the year 1862, near to the university, there lived three little girls, daughters of the Dean of Christ Church. And in the summer, the good Reverend Dodgson used to take these little girls on picnics along the Thames River. After the hard-boiled eggs were all eaten and the lemonade was all gone, the girls would leave off picking flowers and chasing butterflies and gather around their host. And the middle one, whose name was Alice, would say firmly, Tell us a story. This is the wonderful tale that the Oxford Don told his little friends. He published it afterwards and called it Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and signed it Lewis Carroll. It started this way. Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and of having nothing to do.
10: Emily? Hmm? Emily? Alice, please, I'm reading. Oh, all right. Are you reading one of Father's books? Hmm? Because they don't have any pictures or conversations in them. I don't see how you can. Alice, dear, why don't you make a daisy, Jane? There are lots of beauties on the bank. It's too hot and stupid this afternoon. <sighs> Tell me a story, Emily later. But there's nothing to do now. And it's such a sleepy afternoon. Everything's sleepy. The river's sleepy. The birds are sleepy. The grass is sleepy. And the clouds are sleepy. <laughs> Well, fancy a white rabbit with pink eyes. Well, anyhow, he seems to be in a hurry. Oh, the poor dear can't get his watch out of his waistcoat pocket. Oh
0: dear, oh dear, I shall be too late. The Duchess will be furious. I shall be so late. Oh dear, oh dear.
10: What a funny little rabbit, and such a beautiful purple waistcoat. Waistcoat. That's odd. I've never seen a rabbit with one before.
0: I should be so horribly. Wait. Oh, dear, oh, dear.
10: Oh, there he goes down a rabbit hole. Wait for me, rabbit. It seems big enough to go down. I think I'll lean over and see. Oh. Oh. Whoops. I wonder where I'm falling to It must be a dreadful distance down. After this, I shall think nothing of falling downstairs. How brave they'll think me at home. I wonder if I shall fall right through the earth. How funny it'll seem to come out among the people that walk with their heads downwards. I had it in geography, the antipathies, I think. No, that doesn't sound right. But I shall have to ask them the name of the country. Please, ma'am, is this New Zealand?
11: (laughs) Fancy asking that. What a
10: dreadful long time I've been falling. Dinah will miss me tonight. She's such an intelligent cat. I hope they remember her milk. Dinah, dear, I wish you were here with me. There aren't any mice in the air, but then you might catch a bat, and that's very like a mouse. But do cats eat bats, I wonder? Do <sighs> cats eat bats? Do cats eat bats? The bats eat cats? The bats eat cats? The cats eat bats? Oh, well, I'm down, and I seem to be in one piece, and there goes the white rabbit.
0: my ears and whiskers, how weight it's getting. The Duchess will be furious.
10: Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, he's gone. I don't know how he did it. There doesn't seem to be any way out of here. Let's see now. He went down this side. Oh, here's a door. But it's locked, and it's so tiny I shall never fit through. There must be a key somewhere. Oh, here it is on this glass table. Let's see now. Oh, what a lovely garden. If only I could get through the door. Oh, I wish I could shut up like a telescope. I think I could if I only knew the way to begin. Well, I might as well shut the door. It's no use. I suppose I should put the key back where I found it. Now, that's odd. This bottle wasn't here before. Drink me. Drink you? Well... That's all very well, but maybe you're poisoned. No, it isn't marked. All right, then. Mmm. It's all kinds of flavors. It's good. What a curious feeling. I must be shutting up like a telescope. I do hope it stops. I might go out altogether like a candle. Goodness, I'm glad it stopped. I should hate to be like a candle flame after you've blown it out. But I'm small enough now to get through the door into the garden. I'll be able to see. Oh, I've left the key on top of the table. And I can't possibly reach it. Oh, I shall never get out. Oh, come now, there's no use crying. Alice, I advise you to leave off this (laughs) minute. But it's no use to pretend to be two people now and give myself advice. There's hardly enough left of me to make one respectable person. (laughs) Oh, dear. I did want to get into the garden. Eat me. What? Oh, there's a cake under the table. I didn't see it before. Eat me. All right. I might as well. If it makes me larger, I can reach the key, and if the other way, I can creep under the door. Mmm, it's good. Now, which way? Which way? Curiouser and curiouser. I'm growing again. Oh, I'm growing too much. I'm opening out like the largest telescope there ever was. There go my feet. Goodbye, feet. Ooh, my head. Well, at least I've stopped growing. I must be nine feet tall. But I still can't get into the garden. Oh, dear. How vexing. You ought to be ashamed. A great big girl like you crying. Stop it. Oh, there's the rabbit again.
0: Oh, the Duchess, the Duchess. Won't she be savage if I've kept her waiting? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Hey,
10: excuse me, Mr. Rabbit. Oh, I wonder. Good heavens,
0: a giant. This is too much.
10: Oh, I wish he wouldn't run away so. He's dropped his fan and gloves. Everything's so queer today. I feel so different. But if I'm not the same, who in the world am I? I'm sure I'm not Ada. Her hair grows in ringlets, and mine doesn't. Besides, she's she and I'm I. I'll see if I know the things I used to know. I'll try and say how duck the little... How duck the little crocodile... Improve its shining tail And pour the waters of the Nile On every golden scale How cheerfully he seems to grin How neatly spreads his claws And welcomes little fishes in With
11: gently smiling jaws
10: Oh, Oh, I'm sure those aren't the right words I'm not me at all I've put my hand in the rabbit's glove I've grown small again And I can go through the door into the garden. No. I've left the key on top of the table. Now things are worse than they were. I declare it's too bad. It's certainly... it. Oh! Oh, I'm slipping. Oop! (coughs) Salt water. Now, how did that get... Oh, it must be the tears I wept when I was nine feet high. I wish I hadn't cried so much. I shall be drowned in my own tears. Oh, look, it's a mouse. Uh, Mr. Mouse, uh, do you know the way out of this pool? I'm I'm awfully tired of swimming. Oh, perhaps it doesn't understand English. I, I dare say it's a French mouse that came over with William the Conqueror. Let's see now, what French do I know? Uh... Who am I shot? Shot? Well, I never... Oh, I beg your pardon. I quite forgot you don't like cats, Mr. Mouse. Huh. Cats are low, vulgar things. Are you... Uh, are you fond of dogs? There's such a nice little dog near our house. A little brownish terrier. It'll fetch things when you throw them, and play dead, and sit up and beg, and you should see a killing rat. <gasps> huh. Young lady... Let's get out of this pool,
12: and I'll tell you why I hate cats and dogs. And besides, it's getting crowded in here.
10: Gracious! What a queer lot of creatures there were in the pool. They aren't queer. You are. You've no fur or feathers. Why, I don't
13: even know who you are. I'm a lorry. A what? A lorry, yes. And that's a dodo. There's an eaglet and a duck. They're not queer. You are. I'm older than you. I must know better. How old are you, then?
10: Won't tell. But then how can you know if you're older? Hold your tongue. The mouse is going to speak. Sit down, all of you. The first thing is for all of us to get dry.
12: Everybody sit down in a ring. There, that's right. Now, this is the driest thing I know. William the Conqueror, whose cause was favored by the Pope, but soon submitted to by the English. Edwin and Marker, the Earls of Northumbria, declared for him, and even the Archbishop of Canterbury found it advisable. Found what? Found it.
13: You know what it means? I know what it is when I find the thing. It's generally a worm. But what did the Archbishop find? Besides, I'm still wet as ever. What we need to get dry is a caucus race. A caucus race? That's right. Everybody spread out in a circle, and then up and away.
12: (laughs) All right, the race is over. But who has won? Everybody has won. And Alice
10: is to give the prizes. Me? Well, I don't know what. Oh, wait. I have some chocolates in my apron pocket. Here. (laughs) But she must have a
12: prize
13: herself. Of course. What else have you in your pocket? Only a thimble. Well, hand it over. We beg your acceptance of this
12: elegant thimble as your prize. Why, thank you, sir.
10: She got the best prize. Well, I never... You certainly didn't. That's rude. I wish I had Dinah here. She's polite. And who might I venture to ask? Is Dinah? Dinah's our cat. And she's such a capital one for catching mice. And oh, I wish you could see her after the birds. Why, she'll eat a little bird as soon as... Look at it! Oh, dear. They're all gone. I wish I hadn't mentioned Dinah. Nobody seems to like cats here. Dear Dinah, I wonder if I shall ever see you anymore. (laughs)
3: The
0: Duchess, the Duchess. Oh, my dear paws, my fur and whiskers. She'll get me executed as sure as fellers are fellers.
10: Oh, now here's the white rabbit back. I must remember not to mention Dinah and frighten him off.
0: Why, Mary Ann, what are you doing here?
10: Oh, I'm not Mary Ann. I'm Alice.
0: Nonsense. You must be Mary Ann. One home this minute and fetch me a pair of gloves and a fan. Quick now, I must be off. Remember, a pair of gloves and a fan.
10: He took me for his housemaid. But i better get his gloves or he'll be furious. I shall have to hurry before the real Marianne catches me. Fancy running errands for a white rabbit. <laughs> I suppose Don will be sending me on messages next or have me watching mouse holes. <laughs> Now, the gloves must be in here somewhere. Oh, there they are on the chest and the fan. Drink me. Oh, another of those bottles. Drink me. Well, I might as well. I know something interesting is sure to happen. I hope it'll make me grow large again. I'm tired of being such a tiny thing. Oops, here I go. I think maybe I'm growing too fast. I hope it stops soon. We shan't be able to get out the door. I'd better kneel so I fit. Maybe if I put one arm out the window, there, now I can get my foot up the chimney. Now, what will become of me? There. Thank goodness I've stopped growing Oh, it was much pleasanter at home When one wasn't always growing larger and smaller And being ordered about by rabbits When I grow up, I... But I'm grown up now At least there's no more room to grow up here
0: Mary Ann, Let me in at once That's my growth Let me in
10: the white rabbit won't be able to get in with me filling the room.
0: Oh, well, then I'll go on and get in by the window.
10: I don't know why I'm trembling. I must be at least a thousand times larger than the rabbit. There he is outside the window. I'll just grab. Oh, oh! Heavens! He must have fallen into a cucumber frame. Pat,
0: Pat, where are you? Where is that gardener?
13: Sure, that I'm here digging for apple your honor.
0: Well, come and help me out of this. Now, what's that in the window?
13: Sure, and it's an arm, Your Honor.
0: Nonsense. It fills the whole window. Whoever saw an arm that big? Well,
13: it's an arm, nevertheless.
0: Well, listen, Pat. Come here. I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh.
10: Oh, dear. They must both be trying to get in the window. I'll just have to grab again. Help! What a number of cucumber frames there must be. I wonder what they'll do next. I wish they could pull me out of the window. I'm sure I don't want to stay here any longer. All right, Bill, you ought to go down the chimney. Oh, so Bill's coming down the chimney, is he? Well, I think I can pull my foot down a little. There he is. Now I'll kick...
0: There goes Bill. Catch him. Well, we have to burn the house down.
10: You do and I'll set Dinah on you. Ha! Huh, that scared them. I wonder what next. If they had any sense, they'd take the roof off. All right. Now a powerful will do. Blow them
0: through the window. One, two, Wait.
10: Oh, now they're throwing pebbles at me. You stop or I'll get Dinah. Well, that's odd. The pebbles are turning into cakes. If I eat one, it's sure to make some change in my size, and it can't possibly make me larger. Well, which way? Oh, I'm getting little again. At least I can get my arm out of the window. I was getting tired with my foot up the chimney. I'm three inches high again. If I can find the little door, I'll be able to get into that lovely garden. The best thing would be to find someone who knows the way. There doesn't seem to be anything here but a mushroom, and I can't even see over it. Maybe if I stand on tiptoe, I'll find something on the top. There.
6: It isn't polite to stare.
10: Oh, a caterpillar smoking a water pipe.
6: Who are you?
10: I, I hardly know, sir, at present. Being so many different sizes is very confusing.
6: Not a bit.
10: Well, it feels queer to me.
6: You? Who are you?
10: Oh, dear. That's where we started. You see, I can't remember things.
6: Can't remember what things?
10: Poetry, mostly. I try to say it, but, but it all comes out wrong.
6: Repeat. You are old, Father William.
10: I'll try. <laughs> you are old, Father William, the young man said, and your hair has become very white. And yet you incessantly stand on your head. Do you think at your age it is right? In my youth, Father William replied to his son, I feared it might injure my brain. But now that I'm perfectly sure I have none, why, i do it again and again. You are old, said the youth, one would hardly suppose that your eye was as steady as ever. Yet you balanced an eel on the end of your nose. What made you so awfully clever? I have answered your questions and that is enough, said his father. Don't give yourself airs. Do you think I can listen all day to that stuff? Be awful. Or I'll kick you downstairs.
6: That's not right.
10: Oh, not quite, I'm afraid. Some of the words have got altered.
6: It's wrong from beginning to end. Well, what size do you want to be?
10: I should like to be a little larger. Three inches is such a wretched height to be.
6: It is an excellent height to be. I am just three inches high.
10: Oh, dear. Don't go. Don't... Oh, I wish the creatures wouldn't be so easily offended. He's gone and left his water pipe. Well, I'm still not in the garden. I wish I could find my way. I shall have to ask at that house. Oh, there's someone knocking now. I guess I'll have to wait.
6: For the Duchess, an invitation from the
2: Queen to play croquet.
10: From the Queen, an invitation for the Duchess to play croquet. I uh, beg your pardon. Do you think the people who live here might... There's no
2: use in
6: knocking anymore. For two reasons. First, I'm on the same side of the door as you. Second, uh, they're making too much noise inside to hear you.
10: Well, please then, how am I to get in? I shall sit here till tomorrow. (laughs) Or the next day, maybe. How am I to get in?
6: Are you to get in at all? That is the first question you know.
10: It's really dreadful the way people argue around here. I shall sit here on and
2: off for days and days.
10: But what am I to do? Anything you like. Oh, there's no use talking to him. He's perfectly idiotic. I'll just open the door and walk in. (coughs) Put a lot of pepper in the air.
14: Pepper's good for you. I'm the duchess, little girl. Who are you? Oh, never mind. Time's money, I always say. Cook. Yes, Mum. More pepper. Oh,
10: not more pepper. The baby's sneezing and howling already, poor little thing. Nonsense. This baby lives on pepper. But the only one... Who isn't sneezing is the cat. Oh, it's grinning. Could you tell me why your cat grins like that? It's a Cheshire cat. Pig. Me? No, the baby. It won't stay quiet. Oh, I didn't know that Cheshire cats always grin. In fact, I didn't know that cats could grin. They all can. And most of them do. I don't know of any that do.
14: Oh, you don't know much, and that's a fact. Cook, take the soup off.
12: Yes, Mama.
10: Oh, please. Geez, watch what you're doing! You almost took the baby's nose off. If everybody minded their business, the world would go round a deal faster than it does, which would not be an advantage. I learned all about it at school. You see, the Earth takes twenty-four hours to turn round on its axis. Talking of axes, chop off a head. It takes twenty-four hours, I think, or
14: is it twelve? I... Oh, now don't bother me. I never could abide figures. <laughs> Speak roughly
8: to your
14: little boy and oh! shoot him when he sneezes. He only does it to annoy
3: because he knows it teases. He only does it to annoy because he knows it teases.
11: I speak severely
14: to my boy. I beat him when he sneezes. For he can thoroughly enjoy the pepper when he pleases. Wah, 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 wah.
3: For he can thoroughly enjoy the pepper when he pleases.
14: Here, you may hold the baby a bit if you like. Oh, well, don't throw it.
10: Oh, there now, baby. It's all right.
14: Huh? I must go and get ready to play croquet with the queen. Cook! Mind the soup, kettle.
10: Yes, ma'am. Oh, look! Out! You'll hit the baby! If I don't take this child, they're sure to kill it in a day or two. Come on, baby. Let's get out of here before they kill us both. There now, baby. Wouldn't it be murder to leave you behind in there? (coughs) Don't grunt. That's not at all a proper way of expressing yourself. (coughs) You know, baby, that turned-up nose of yours looks much more like a snout than a real nose. (coughs) Your eyes are extremely small for a baby. Well. If you're going to turn into a pig, my dear, I'll have nothing more to do with you. Well, there's no mistaking it now. You are turning into a pig. Here, I'll set you down. Well, it would have made a dreadfully ugly child. But it makes a rather handsome pig, I think. Now I wonder which way I ought to go from here. said that?
11: Here, yeah, up in the tree in the
10: bough. Oh, it's the Cheshire cat from the Duchesses. Cheshire Puss. Yeah. Would you tell me, please, what sort of people live around here?
11: Over that way lives a hatter, and then the other way lives a March hare. Visit either you like, they're both mad. Oh, but I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. We're all mad here. I'm mad, and you're mad. How do you
10: know I'm mad?
11: Well, you must be, or you wouldn't have come here.
10: Oh, well, that doesn't prove anything.
11: How do you know? That, how do you know that you're mad? When well, you begin, with, the dog's not mad. You grant that. I suppose so. Well, then you see a dog growls when it's angry and wags its tail when it's pleased. Yes. Now I growl when I'm and wag my tail when I'm angry. Therefore, I'm mad. Oh, I
10: call it. Purring, not growling. Oh,
11: call it what you like, purring or growling. It's the same. Uh, do you play croquet okay with the queen today?
10: Oh, I should like to, but I haven't been invited yet.
11: <laughs> You'll see me there. Well, goodbye.
10: Well, he's vanished. He certainly goes quickly. I suppose it's because he's a Cheshire cat.
11: Oh, find the way, I forgot to ask. What became of the baby?
10: Oh, it's you again. It turned into a pig.
11: Yeah, I got it was Well, again.
10: No! No! Vanished again. Well, now, which way shall I go? The hatter or the march hare? Oh, I've seen hatters before, so the march hare will be much more interesting. And perhaps as this is May, he won't be raving mad. At least, not so mad as if it were March. No!
11: Did you say pig?
10: Huh? Pig. I said Pig. And I wish you wouldn't keep appearing and vanishing so suddenly. You make one quite giddy. Now there's nothing left but the grin. Well, I've often seen a cat without a grin, but a grin without a cat, it's the most curious thing I ever saw in my life. The March Hare it is then, and that must be his house. The chimneys like ears, and the roof's thatched with fur. It's nearly tea time. I wonder if I can get any of the March Hare's. Well, raving mad or not, here I go. Although I I almost wish I'd gone to see the Mad Hare instead. <laughs>
9: You're listening to Dinah Shore as Alice in Wonderland, a special presentation for the holiday season by the NBC University Theater. Our adaptation of the Lewis Carroll classic continues after a brief pause for station identification. Now on a picnic on the Thames Bank at Oxford with the Reverend Charles Dodgson and his three young guests. Finish the story, says the middle one. What happened to Alice in Wonderland next? Oh, let's see, says the clergyman. There was a table set out under a tree in front of the March Hare's house. And the March Hare and the Hatter were having tea at it. Dormouse was sitting between them fast asleep and the two were resting their elbows on it. Very uncomfortable for the Dormouse, thought Alice.
10: Me, it's asleep, so I suppose it doesn't mind. No, no,
6: no, 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 no no, no,
10: no. no room.
0: Go away, little girl.
10: Don't be silly. There's plenty of room. I'll sit in the armchair at the end of the table. Now, you must be the hatter.
6: That's right. He's the March Hare. Dormouse is asleep.
10: Have some wine? There's nothing but tea. I don't see any wine.
2: Oh, there isn't any.
10: And it wasn't very civil of you to offer it.
2: Well, it wasn't very civil of you to sit down without being asked.
10: Well, the table's set for more than three. I I didn't think you'd mind.
6: Your hair wants cutting.
10: And you should learn not to make personal remarks, Mr. Hatter. It's very rude.
6: Why is a raven like a writing desk?
10: Oh, riddles. Now we'll have some fun. (laughs) I think I can guess that. You mean you think you can find the answer to it? Exactly so. Then you should say what you mean. I do. At least, I mean what I say, that's the same thing, you know.
6: Uh, Not a bit, not a bit. Why, you might just as well say that uh, I see what I eat is the same as I eat what I see.
10: Yes, you might
12: just as well say that I like what I get is the same as I get what I like. Mm. You might just as well say that I breathe when I sleep is the same as I sleep
10: when I breathe.
6: It is the same for you, Dormouse.
10: Let's see now. The riddle. Raven and the writing desk.
6: Uh, What day of the month is it?
10: The fourth, I think.
6: There, I thought so. Look at my watch. Oh, two days wrong. I told you butter wouldn't suit the works.
2: Well, it was the best butter, Hatter.
6: No, oh, some crumbs must have gotten in as well. You shouldn't have put it in with the bread knife.
2: Uh, try dipping it in the tea. It was the very best butter.
12: Oh, the
6: Dormouse is asleep again. Uh, pour some tea in his nose. Of
12: course course. Just what I was going to remark myself.
6: Well, have you guessed the riddle yet?
10: No, I give it up. Why is a raven like a writing desk?
6: I haven't the slightest idea. It, nor I.
10: I think you might do something better with the time than waste it in asking riddles that have no answers.
6: Oh, if you knew time as well as I do, you wouldn't talk about wasting it. It's him.
10: I don't know what you mean.
6: Of course you don't. I dare say you've never even spoken, spoken a word to time.
10: No, but I have to beat time when I learn music.
6: Ah, that accounts for it. He won't stand beating. Now, if you kept on good terms with time, he'd do most anything for you. For example, if it's nine o'clock, time for lessons, a whisper to time. And it's half past one, time for dinner.
10: Oh, I wish it was. Oh, is that the way you manage?
6: Oh, dear, no. We quarreled last March, time and I. Just before the hair went mad, you know. It was at the great concert given by the Queen of Hearts. I had to sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Bat. You know the song?
10: Well, I've I've heard something like it.
6: It goes on,
12: you know. Twinkle, twinkle, little bat. How I wonder
2: what you're at. Up above the world you'll fly,
12: like a tea tray in the sky. Twinkle, 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 twinkle,
13: twinkle, 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 twinkle. Stop, stop, stop him, stop him, definitely. There, he stopped.
6: Well, I'd hardly finished the first verse when the queen bowed out, he's murdering the time of the dessert.
10: How dreadful a savage.
6: And ever since that, time won't do a thing, I ask. It's always six o'clock now.
10: Is that the reason so many tea things are put out here?
6: That's it. It's always tea time, and we've no time to wash the things between whiles.
10: Then you keep moving around the table, I suppose?
6: Exactly so, as the things get used up.
10: But what happens when you come to the beginning again? Mm, well, let's change the subject, Hatter. Um, I vote the young lady tells us a story. Me. Oh, I'm afraid I don't know one.
6: Well, then the Dormouse shall.
12: Uh, wake up, Dormouse uh, Dormouse Wake up uh, Come up, on up, now. Up, 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 up. I wasn't asleep I heard every word you fellows were saying Tell us a story Oh, yes, please do
0: And be quick about it or you'll be asleep again
12: Once upon a time, there were three little sisters And their names were Elsie, Lacey, and Tilly
10: And they lived at the bottom of a well What did they live on? Tree echo Oh, they couldn't have They'd have been ill So they were Very ill but Why did they live at the bottom of the well? It was a triacle well, but there can't be
12: a if you can't be civil. you'd better finish the story yourself. Oh no, no, please go on. I-, I won't interrupt you again. Well, these three little sisters
11: were learning to <sighs> draw oh, what did they draw? Triacle
6: I want a clean cup. let's all move one place on. <laughs>
10: Oh, but the march hair spilled the milk jug in his plate, and I've got to move to his place.
6: Hey, go, uh, go about your story now to a mouse. Well,
10: y- yes, where did they draw the triacle from?
6: You can draw water out of a water well, so I should think you could draw a triacle out of a triacle well. Eh, stupid?
10: But they were in the well.
12: And of course they were. Well in. They were learning to draw, and they drew all manner of things. Everything that begins with an M. Why with an M? Well, why not? Oh, now the Dormouse is
6: asleep again. Uh, come, 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 come. Come on now, up again. Up, up, up,
12: up. <clears throat> it begins with an M, such as mouse traps and the moon and memory and muchness. Muchness? Muchness. You know, you say things are much of a muchness. Did you ever see such a thing
10: as a drawing of a muchness? Well, Really, now that you ask me, I don't think
6: I... Then you shouldn't talk.
10: Well, that's too much. That's the rudest. Well, I certainly shan't stay. Goodbye. Oh,
6: the dormouse is asleep again.
13: Uh, wake him up again. Uh, uh, pinch him. Uh, put him in uh, the teapot.
10: Uh, come, come on now.
13: Wake up now. Wake up. Wake up.
10: Well, I shall never go there again. It's the stupidest tea party I was ever at in all my life. This is very curious There's a door in the tree trunk But everything's curious today I think I may as well go in at once Oh, it's the glass hall again And the door to the lovely garden is open And I can get through Well, here I go at last (laughs) Oh, what lovely white roses. But that's odd. Those gardeners are painting them red. Well, they're really playing cards.
0: Look out now, Five. Don't go splashing paint over me.
10: Oh, you yeah,
11: jungle my arm, too.
0: Well, of all the unjust acquisitions...
10: Oh, I, I beg your pardon, but could you tell me why you're painting those roses?
9: Well, miss, you see, this ought to have been a red rose tree. and We put a white
11: one in by mistake.
0: And if the queen was to find it out, we should both have our heads cut off. So you see, miss, we're doing our best. Oh, my, the queen and the queen. The king and queen of hearts. Well, who is this?
10: What's your name, child? My name's Alice, so please, Your Majesty. And who are these creatures on the ground? How should I know? It's no business of mine. What? Off with her head! Off with her head! Nonsense! What? Nonsense!
6: Oh, Uh, consider, my dear, she's only a child. No
13: matter. Well, you two on the ground, what have you been doing? Never mind, off with their heads. Can you play croquet, child? Yes, Your Majesty. Come along, then.
6: Your Majesty? Huh? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yes, of course. On to the croquet ground.
0: wow.
10: Oh, it's the White Rabbit.
0: It's a very fine day.
10: Very. Where's the Duchess? Shh.
0: She's under sentence of execution.
10: What for? Did you say what a pity? No, I didn't. I don't think it's at all a pity. I said, what for?
0: She boxed the queen's ears.
10: Oh.
0: <laughs> the queen will hear you. Get to your places.
13: Let the croquet game begin. Uh-oh. Up with his head. Up with his head.
10: Goodness. What an odd croquet match. Hedgehogs for balls and flamingos for mallets. And what a din! it's the Cheshire Cat. Now I shall have somebody to talk to. How
11: are you getting on? Oh,
10: I don't think they play at all fairly. They all quarrel so, and, and there doesn't seem to be any rules.
11: How do you like the Queen?
10: Oh, not at all. She's so extremely. Uh, hello, Your Majesty. Who are you talking to? A, a friend of mine, Your Majesty, a Cheshire Cat. Allow me to introduce it. Cat? This is the king and queen of hearts.
6: I don't like the look of it all. However, it may kiss my hand if it
11: likes.
6: (laughs) Don't be impertinent. Don't look at me like that.
10: A cat may look at a king. I I read that in some book, but I I don't remember where.
6: Well, the cat must be removed.
10: Off with his head.
6: Uh, uh, Yes, of course. uh, But consider, my dear, the cat is vanished up to the neck. We can't cut off a head without a body to cut it off from.
13: Ridiculous. Anything that has a head can be beheaded. No more nonsense. And if something isn't done soon, I'll have everybody executed all around.
10: Well, the cat belongs to the Duchess. You might ask her. She's in prison. Fetch her here.
0: Immediately, your majesty.
11: Well, I can't stay here all day now.
0: You can't leave. You're to be executed.
11: Oh, I'm sorry. Found oh, about Stop him!
13: Stop him! Where's he going? Off
14: with his head! Oh, you can't think how bad I am to see you, dear. Oh, it's the
10: Duchess. I thought you were in prison. I was. I got away when they went after the cat. You know you were so savage when I met you in the kitchen before. I wonder if it's always pepper that makes people hot-tempered and vinegar that makes them sour. And... Oh, you're thinking about something, dear, and that makes you forget to talk properly. I
14: can't tell you what the moral of that is, but I shall remember it after a while. Is there always a moral? Oh, of course. I I dare say you're wondering why I don't put my arm round your waist. The reason is, I'm afraid. Oh well, I don't bite, you know. Oh, very true. Dogs and mustard both bite. And the moral of that is, birds of a feather flock together. Only mustard isn't an animal. Oh, right, as usual. Oh, what a clear way you have a putting thing. It's a mineral, I think. Oh, of course it is. There's a large mustard mine near here. And the moral of that is, the more there is of mine, the less there is of yours. Oh, I know. It's a vegetable. I quite agree with you. And the model of that is, be what you would seem to be. And that's nothing to what I could say if I chose. Oh,
10: pray don't trouble yourself.
14: Oh, it's no trouble at all, no. No.
13: Uh, how do you do, Your Majesty? What are you doing here? Ah, fine day, Your Majesty. I give you fair warning, Duchess. Either you or your head must be off. And that in about half no time. Take your chance. Oh, well, of uh, course. Goodbye. There now. Have you seen the mock turtle yet?
10: No, I I don't even know what
13: a mock turtle is. It's the thing mock turtle soup is made from. I've never seen one. Come along, then, and he shall tell you his history. (laughs) Alice, this is a griffin. How do you do? Up, up, lazy thing. You are to take this young lady to see the mock turtle. Oh, very well. Good. I must go back and see after some executions I've ordered.
10: (laughs) What fun. What? Why, the queen. It's all her fancy, that.
0: They never executes nobody, you know.
10: Come on. Oh, dear. I was never so ordered about in my life.
0: Hi there, Mock Turtle. this here young lady, she wants for to know your history, she do.
6: Oh, very well. Once I was a real turtle. (laughs) Well? When we were little, we went to school in the sea. The master was an old turtle. We used to call him Tortoise.
10: Why did you call him Tortoise if he was a turtle?
6: We called him Tortoise because he taught us.
10: Oh.
0: Really? You're very dumb.
10: Now, hold your tongue.
6: We had the best of education. In fact, we went to school every day.
10: I've been to day school, too.
6: With extras?
10: Oh, yes. We had French and music.
6: And washing?
10: Certainly not.
6: Then it wasn't really a good school. At our school, they had it at the end of the bill. French, music, and washing extra. But I only took the regular course. What was that? Reeling and writhing, of course, to begin with. And then the different branches of arithmetic. Ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision.
10: What else had you to learn?
6: Well, there was mystery, ancient and modern, and drawing. Drawing? The drawling master was an old conger eel. He taught us drawling, stretching, and painting in coils.
10: What was that like?
6: I can't show you myself. I am too stiff. And the griffin never learned.
10: I uh, hadn't time. And, and how many hours a day did you do lessons?
6: Ten hours the first day, nine the next, and so on.
10: What a curious plan. That's
2: the reason they're called
0: lessons. They lesson from day to day.
10: Oh, then the eleventh day must have been a holiday. Oh,
0: that's enough about lessons. Tell us something about games.
10: <laughs> oh, there, there. Oh,
6: perhaps you've never been introduced to a lobster.
10: Well, I once tasted. I mean, uh, no.
6: Then you have no idea what a delightful thing a lobster quadrille is.
10: What sort of dance is it? Why, you uh, first form a line along the seashore. Uh, Two
6: lines. Seals, turtles, salmons, and so on. Then when you've cleared all the jellyfish out of the way, you advance twice. Each with a lobster as a partner. Advance twice, set to partner. Change lobsters and retire in same order. Then you know, you throw the... Lobsters! As far out to sea as you can. Swim
8: after them. Turn a
6: somersault in the sea. Change
8: lobsters! And back
6: to land... That's all the first figure.
10: Oh, it must be a very pretty dance.
6: Come, let's try the first figure. We'll both sing. Very well, then. Will you walk a little faster Set a whiting to a snail There's a porpoise close behind us And he's treading on my tail Will you...
3: Won't you, will you, won't you, will you, won't you try the dance?
10: Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, won't you, won't you will you try the dance? Oh, I do so like that curious song about the whiting. Do you know why it's called a whiting? Why? It does the boots and shoes. Shoes? Well, certainly. What are your shoes done with? Blacking. Well, boots and
0: shoes under the sea are done with whiting.
10: Well, what are the boots made of?
0: Soles and eels, of course.
10: Well, if I'd been the whiting, I'd have told the porpoise to stand back. Oh,
0: no, they were obliged to have him with them. No wise fish
6: would
10: go anywhere without one.
6: No, of course not. Why, if a fish came to me and said he was going on a journey, I'd ask, with what porpoise?
10: Don't you mean...
0: Purpose. He means what he says. Uh, well, now, uh, shall I dance somewhere, or shall the mock turtle sing you a song?
10: Oh, a song, please, if the mock turtle would be so kind.
0: Well, there's no accounting for taste. Uh, sing her turtle soup, old.
6: Such dainties would not stop. Oh, the evening beautiful soup, soup of the evening beautiful
3: soup. Beautiful soup, beautiful soup, soup of the Beautiful soon, beautiful, beautiful zoo.
12: The trial's beginning. Come on. What trial? Never mind. Come on. Beautiful soon,
6: who cares for
0: session their Majesties, the king and queen of hearts presiding
10: <laughs> the king's wearing his crown over a judge's
0: wing so I went in court Harold read the accusation the queen of hearts she made some tarts all on a summer's day the knave of hearts he stole those tarts and took them quite away
6: consider your verdict
0: not yet simpleton Harold, call the first witness.
6: Uh, Oh, oh, yes, yes, the first witness.
0: First witness,
13: the Mad Hatter.
6: Uh, Here, here, coming, coming, coming. I I, I beg your pardon, Your Majesty. I hadn't quite finished my tea. When did you begin? Uh,
0: 14th of March, I think. Or 15th, or maybe 16th.
6: Write that down.
0: Well? It adds up to nine pounds, seven and six, Your Majesty.
6: Good. And you, witness, take off your hat.
13: Give your evidence or I have you executed on the spot. Quit
10: shoving, little girl. I can't help it. I'm beginning to grow again. Well, you
0: shouldn't grow in here. It's too crowded.
6: Give your evidence, Hatter. I'm a poor man, your majesty. And what with the bread and butter getting so thin? And the twinkling of the tea? The twinkling of what? It began with the tea. Of course, twinkling begins with tea. Go on. I'm a poor man, Your Majesty, and most things twinkled after that. And the March Hare says. I did not. You did. I denied it. You did. Denies it. Leave out that part. It was tea time, Your Majesty, and the Dormouse said. The Dormouse. He can't deny it. He's a sweet. I'm a poor man, Your You're Majesty. a very poor a speaker. Here, here. You may go.
13: And take off his head outside.
0: Next witness, the Duchess's cook.
6: Give your evidence. Chance. Uh, I suppose I've got to cross-examine you. What are tarts made of?
13: Pepper, mostly. fool. <inaudible> Call that dormouse. Turn that dormouse out of court. Pinch him up with his whiskers.
6: Never mind. Call the next witness.
0: Next witness.
6: Alice.
10: <laughs> Here. Uh,
6: careful there. If you don't stop growing, you'll upset the jury box.
10: Oh, I, I'm so sorry.
6: Uh, now then. What do you know about this business?
10: Nothing whatever. Silence!
6: Rule 42. All persons more than a mile high to leave the court.
10: I'm just growing again. I can't help it. And besides, I'm not a mile high.
6: You are.
10: Nearly two miles high. Well, I shan't go. And besides, that's not a regular rule. You invented it just now.
6: It's the oldest rule
10: in the book. Then it ought to be the number one. (coughs)
6: Consider your verdict.
10: No, 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 no. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. Stuff and nonsense. The idea of having the sentence first. Hold your tongue. I won't. Off with their head! Off with her head! Off with her head! Off with her head! Off with her head. head! Off with her head.
13: head! Off with
10: her head. head! Who off cares for any of you? Head. You're nothing but a little pack of cards! Ah! <laughs> Alice, nothing but a pack of cards. Wake up, Alice, dear. It's nearly tea time. Hmm? Oh, Emily. I've had such a curious dream. Or was it a dream? Listen, Emily, I can still hear it. You listen. It's soup, the mock turtle
6: singing. Oh, listen. Beautiful suit. Beautiful
3: suit.
10: Oh dear! It's only the cows. They're driving them home now. You have been dreaming, Alice. I suppose so. It was so curious. Well, come on, Emily. We'll be late for tea. Mm-hmm.
9: And that's the story the Reverend Mr. Dodgson told his little guests on the banks of the Thames. The good doctor wrote out his little story for the real Alice as a Christmas gift and signed it with a pseudonym. And all that's left today of the Reverend Mathematician of Oxford are the stories Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. (laughs) Of the NBC University Theater falls on our special holiday presentation of Lewis Carroll's beloved story, Alice in Wonderland. Ernest Canoy adapted it for radio, and our star in the role of Alice was Miss Dinah Shore. Our cast included Arthur Q. Bryan, Earl Keene, Maya Gregory, Dick Ryan, Margaret Brayton, Parley Bear, Jack Crucian, Don Messick, Noreen Gamell, Ralph Moody, Hugh Thomas, Charles Seal. Your announcer, Don Stanley. Original music for Alice in Wonderland was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. The production was directed by Andrew C. Love. Next week, the NBC University Theater will take a one-week holiday. And in its place over most of these stations, the News and Special Events Department of the National Broadcasting Company will bring you an unusual special program recreating the ten big broadcast stories of 1948. We sincerely hope that you will be listening. Week after next, at the usual time, the University Theatre resumes its regular series dramatizing the outstanding works of modern British and American authors. During the month of January, you will hear a distinguished quartet of modern works. Beginning with John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath, and continuing with the Graham Greene novel Brighton Rock, Robert Penn Warren's Pulitzer Prize winner All the King's Men, and the Catherine Ann Porter story Noon Wine. Be with us then two weeks from today when the NBC University Theater brings you John Steinbeck's great novel The Grapes of Wrath, starring Jane Darwell in her Academy Award winning role, Ma (laughs) Joad. This program came to you from Hollywood. It's a wonderful Sunday on this station. Yes, two and one-half hours of fun when you keep tuned right where you are. And remember, next week, Horace Height moves into the number one spot while Fred Allen drives up to your home a half hour earlier. Hear them tonight and every Sunday over most of these stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
1: Last but not least, we're gonna do my strawberry and whipped cream that goes on top. If you prefer cherry, then go for it. Um but um uh, my my last item uh is Shirley Temple. She's in Lux Theater, she's playing The Littlest Rebel, and of course it's in wartime. It takes place in the Civil War. And um She's older in this one. She's like maybe 10 ish, 11 ish, somewhere thereabouts. And, um, she's, it's sad because, uh, they, they pretty soon they stopped casting her in much of anything because she's not this cute little girl that she used to be. And, uh, but I enjoyed this one. And, I hope y'all do too. It's called The Littlest Rebel. And it's from Lux Theater, but I think I said that.
15: Lux
4: presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Shirley Temple, Claude Rains, and Preston Foster in The Littlest Rebel. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. (laughs) Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever it takes to make a motion picture star, we've got a whole lot of it here tonight in a very small package. Shirley Temple is making her first appearance in the Lux Radio Theater. Her first appearance in a full-length radio play. It carries me back a few years to the day I watched her on the set, doing her first important role. Later, I saw the picture score its first hit, not at a glittering premiere with milling crowds and bright lights tracing patterns in the sky, but in a studio projecting room, just four bare walls and the toughest audience in the world, men and women who make pictures for a living. When it was over, we were all the slaves of an actress just five years old. For on that afternoon, ladies and gentlemen... A star was really born. Tonight we present Shirley Temple in one of her biggest 20th century Fox hits, The Littlest Rebel. And opposite Shirley, we have two leading men, two, count them, Claude Rains and Preston Foster, both rivals for the lady's heart. Naturally, this is a proud week for us, all of us here. We're proud that this distinguished event is brought to you in this theater by Lux Toilet Soap. And I know you share our pride... Because without your help and support, this play and cast would be only a producer's dream. Your part in this theater is just as important as any part played on this stage. And we hope that every day you'll give Lux Toilet Soap the important role in your daily living that it deserves. The Littlest Rebel is a story of the human side of the war between the states. It's about a little girl whose bravery and courage found friends and men of goodwill on both sides. Claude Rains is her father, a captain in the Southern Army. Preston Foster is a northern colonel. And tonight, Preston has brought his suitcase with him. Because right after the final curtain, he leaves for Regina and the Canadian opening of Northwest Mounted Police, in which he played another soldier hero for me. Now we take you back to the Old South to see a great historic event through the eyes of a child. The curtain goes up on Act One of The Littlest Rebel, starring Shirley Temple as Virgie Carey, Claude Rains as Captain Carey and Preston Foster as Colonel Morrison, with Lee Whipper as Uncle Billy and Frank McGlynn as Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) April 12th, 1861. Throughout America is heard the first rumblings of a great conflict, and on this day a gun will be fired at Charleston, heralding the opening of a four-year war between the states. On the old Carey Plantation in Virginia, the thunder of marching men has still to interrupt the quiet dignity of its peaceful country life. In the great reception hall of the mansion, the children of the neighborhood have gathered in honor of the young mistress, Virgie Carey, 11 years old today. At the head of the long, glittering table, she reigns supreme, the old colored servant, Uncle Billy, standing at her side, ready to die in her service or to pass another piece of cake to a hungry guest.
15: Everything all right, Miss Klergy?
8: Thank you, Uncle Billy. Everything's fine. Miss Verge, may I have some of those cookies? Of course you may. Uncle Billy, serve these cookies to Master Harold. <laughs> Why this gin?
4: Yes, Miss Verge. Look to me like Master Harold Harold got some more on the outside than on the inside.
8: <laughs> Will anyone have some more ice cream? Another portion for you, Miss Gladys? No, thanks. I've had enough.
15: Miss Verge, there ain't no more ice cream. There ain't a single spoonful left.
8: Oh, Well, I'll only have one. I won't cope. More cake or ice cream, Master Phillips? No, Miss Burgess. Nothing more for me, thank you. Would you care for more ice cream, Master Frederick? Yes, thank you very much.
15: Now you've done it, Miss Burgess.
8: Master Frederick, perhaps you'd rather have another nice big piece of cake. No, just ice cream. Oh. Uh,
4: What are we going to do now, Miss Burgess?
8: Give him mine, Uncle Billy. You? Yes. I haven't touched it yet. Take it to him, please.
15: Yes. Yes, Miss Burgess.
8: Now, will, will anyone else have any Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful child. And that child of yours is
15: the perfect hostess, Mr. Carey.
16: Look at her. Isn't she lovely?
4: Thanks. She takes after her mother.
16: Oh, Robert,
4: please. Oh, Master
17: Carey, sir. Yes, Tom? Master Carey, that Sally and child of mine done just come up from quarters. Say, she and Rosabelle and others got a present for Miss Booth. Well, that's fine, Tom. Master Carey, I done told all those
4: children not to come up oh. here. But... It's all right, Tom. Linda, I think you'd better take care of this.
16: Of course, dear.
4: They're all waiting outside, Miss Karen.
16: I'll tell Virgie. She'll be right out. Yeah. <laughs> now you get up some gumption, Sally Ann, and talk right out to Miss Virgie. Go
8: ahead, Just speak to I, I can't. Yeah. I'm here. What do you mean you're scared? All you've got to
16: do is give yeah. Miss Virgie the present we make for
8: i shiver, Mammy. i shiver all over me.
16: Now you hush and don't forget to make that speech like I teach you. Here she come now.
8: Hello, Sally Ann. Hello, Rosabelle.
16: Go on, Sally Ann. Say it.
8: Miss, Miss Fergie, man. Yes, Miss Fergie, ma'am. We all done come here to, to wish you a uh, many happy, uh, uh, happy returns. Yes, and that's it. Happy return. And we all done make you a doll. <laughs> You said everything, Sally Ann. Please don't cry. And this is the very nicest present I got because you all made it with your own hands. Thank you ever so much. Happy birthday, Miss Birdie. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you! Excuse me, I've got to go in now, and I'll save you all some cake. Miss Birdie, i, have I have <laughs> like to dance, Master Philip? Oh, yes, Miss Virgie. And you dance very nicely, Miss Virgie, if I may say so. Thank you, Master Philip. But I hope you'll excuse me if I don't bow very low. My britches are too tight. That's perfectly all right. Just bow as far as you can. Thank you, Miss Virgie.
16: Yes, sir?
4: Come in, sir. I want to see Captain Carey right away. Yes.
16: Who is
4: it, Tom? It's a soldier, Miss Carey. I'm sorry I got to disturb you, ma'am. I have a message for Captain Carey. It's very urgent.
16: For Captain Carey. Oh, just a moment, please.
4: Thank you.
16: Robert. Robert, come here. Yes, my dear? Robert, a man just rode up. A soldier.
4: Where is he? Uh, Captain Carey, sir. Yes, I'm Captain Carey. What is it? Fort Sumter was fired upon this morning, sir. The war has started. Gentlemen, please. You have any orders for me? Yes, sir. You are to present yourself at the armory immediately, sir, with horse and sidearm. And all men of the Richmond Grays report in the city before nightfall. will be glad. Right. Send someone down the valley to spread the news. Yes, sir. Then ride north among the river plantations. Yes, sir. War. Oh, Robert. Well, it was bound to come, Linda, but it can't last long. I'll be back in no time, darling. There's nothing to worry about.
16: That's what they told me when my father left for the Mexican War. I never saw him again.
4: Linda, darling.
16: I. I'd... I'd better get your things together.
4: Yes, I'll have to leave as soon as I can. And I think we ought to get the children home. The roads may be filled with soldiers before night. We'll be mobilizing. Of course.
16: Tom, Tom, get all the carriages ready as quickly as you can.
4: Yes, sir,
3: Miss Care.
8: Goodbye. Goodbye, Master Frederick.
15: That's the last one. Everybody gone, on, Miss Bridget.
8: Uncle Billy? I don't think it was very polite to chase everybody out of my party like that.
15: Can't help it, Miss Virgie. Them has got to get him home quick. You see, there's going to be a war. A war? Yes, a real war, with lots of soldiers and battles and men killing each other with guns.
8: But why? Why, Uncle Billy?
15: It seems like to me, Miss Virgie, that no one knows why. I hear white gentlemen say that there's a man up north wants to free the slaves.
8: What does that mean, free the slaves?
15: I don't know myself what it means.
8: It's funny, isn't it? Miss I'm down here by the gate.
15: Miss Casey, you better come in the house now, Miss Burgess. Getting powerful legs.
8: In a little while, Uncle Billy. Ask her if I can stay out just five more minutes.
15: You waiting for your daddy again, Miss Virgie. Who we'll helped him get you no sooner than just watching the road? Them Yankees that is here last week
8: said he a Confederate soldier around you for a Yankees. What would they know? Here they come again, Miss Fergie. They're coming again. Who is? Yankee soldiers coming down the road. Better come
15: inside the house, Miss Virgie.
8: I'm not going to run. But they're liable to hurt you. I won't budge. I'm not afraid. I is. I scared something
15: awful. Ain't you even
4: just a speck afraid, Miss Lurgy?
8: Of course
15: I'm not. Are you? Well, I hear the white gentleman say that your daddy didn't know what fear is. But if he won't find out, I could tell him now.
8: Oh, what are you afraid of them for? Do you see that man riding in front? Well, watch. What you going to do? I'll show you.
15: Miss Lurgy, put away that slingshot.
8: Get me a pebble. Where's a pebble?
15: Please, Miss Lurgy, you ain't wise to use that slingshot on a Yankee. You can
8: Watch. Oh. You, huh? That'll teach him to come snooping around here.
4: Miss virgin. you is starting another war. Who did that?
8: Who did it? I did.
4: Oh, well, you're truthful anyway. Who are you?
8: I'm a Confederate.
4: Oh, a little rebel, eh? I'm
8: not a rebel. My daddy said so. I'm a Confederate.
4: Is your daddy a soldier?
8: He's the best soldier in the Army. It's the Confederate Army.
4: Is he around here now?
8: Do you suppose I'd tell you if he was?
4: <laughs> no. You've got a lot of spunk, haven't you?
8: I'm not afraid of you.
4: I've noticed that. Nevertheless, young lady, I'm a colonel in this army.
8: <laughs> Yankee army. And
4: it's beneath the dignity of my position to be hit in the back of the neck with a slingshot. So you just mind your manners. Good day.
8: Oh, I wish I wasn't, Dixie. Hooray! Hooray! Oh, Miss you, do Dixieland will take my stand to live and die, in, Dixie. Away! <laughs> away! <laughs> <laughs> away!
4: Goodbye, little
8: You're rebel! I'm welcome,
3: Dixie! <laughs>
4: Well, it's me.
17: Master Terry.
16: Mr. Terry! Why did Mr. Cary come back?
4: Shut that door and bolt it.
16: Oh, Robert! Oh, Robert, you've come at last. Linda. Daddy? Yes. Daddy! Hello, darling. Oh, Daddy! Oh, Robert, it's so wonderful to see you. It's been so long, darling.
4: Here, here now. Are those tears?
16: Tears of
8: joy, that's all. Me too. Look, Teddy. Well,
4: we can't have that. Southerners never cry.
8: No? Then what are those in your eyes?
4: Oh, raindrops? Oh, raindrops?
8: <laughs> On a sunshiny day Can you stay long this time, Daddy? Not
4: this time either, darling I've got to get right on again
8: I'll see if Rosabelle has lunch ready I
4: won't be able to stop for it, Linda Oh
8: Well, you can take something along with you You've got to have something
4: Are they getting a fresh horse for me, Uncle Billy? Uh, yes, sir I- I'll go see him, make
8: sure. They'll have it for you, Daddy Everybody knows just what to do We practice it every day God love you You're all over death Can I polish your boots?
4: <laughs> no, don't bother Time's too precious Just sit over here with me Let yeah. me look at you
8: Daddy, are we winning the war?
4: Well, it's hard to say yet.
8: You mean we're losing?
4: No, but don't worry about it. Things are going along.
8: Well, it'll last much longer. I hope not. Do you have to work hard in the war?
4: We all have to do our share.
8: But every time I see you, you're always so tired.
4: I'm not tired now. I'm looking at you.
8: I miss you so, Daddy. Do you miss me?
4: Very much, darling.
8: Mother always pretends you're just gone for a little while and that there's nothing really wrong. And then when she's alone, she cries. I've seen her.
4: But she does pretend. That's what matters. We've all got to pretend.
16: I put something in your saddlebag, Robert. It isn't very much.
4: Thank you, darling. I've got a travel light anyway. Well?
16: Oh, do you really have to go so soon? Can't you rest just a little while?
4: I've got to move on while the coast is clear. I have to find out where Sheridan's camping and report to General Lee before nightfall.
16: Oh, Virgie, would you look out the window and see if Tom has the horse saddled? Yes, Mother.
4: Robert... I'm
16: worried about you on these scouting expeditions. If you're caught, you'll be shot as a spy.
4: I can't be shot as a spy. Not as long as I'm in my own uniform. Please be careful. I will, darling.
8: They're bringing the horse up, Daddy. Good. Well, she's ready, Mr.
4: Carey. We've got the old best saddle and weights at the back door. How is she, Uncle Billy? Oh, fine, Master Carey, fine,
15: sir. Uh, We've only got two horses left. But they're both good, sir. Two left. Linda.
16: I've, I've had to sell or trade nearly all the stock for food. I've kept the horses till the last. I thought you might need them.
4: Why didn't you tell me?
16: Oh, you have enough troubles. This is a part of the war. We women must fight.
3: They're coming! They're coming again!
6: What's
4: that?
16: Master Carrick! Hurry!
4: What's the matter, Tom?
16: Yankees! Coming over the hill! Yankees!
8: Robert, go quickly.
4: Goodbye, darling. Don't be afraid. Please
8: be careful. Of
4: course. Goodbye, Bertie, honey. Bye,
8: Daddy.
4: Oh, come on, darling. Let's see you smile.
8: I am smiling. Why,
4: that's only half a smile. Come on, now, a big one. (laughs) That's it. <laughs> That's fine. How about to hurry up, please. Coming, Linda. Listen. Yes. I'll try to cross the river to the other side of the mill. I can hide in the woods till they pass. If I get over, I'll fire three quick shots to let you know I'm safe. Keep the yanks here as long as you can. I'll need all the time I can get. Goodbye.
8: Goodbye, darling. Daddy, Daddy. Yes, dear. Give my love to General Lee. I will, honey.
17: Goodbye. Goodbye.
8: Goodbye,
16: Daddy. Tom. That's yes, him, Miss Carey? Where are those soldiers now? Just turning off the main road, Miss Carey. Uncle Billy. Get the corn from the barn into the house. Yes. Then hide the silverware in the cellar. Yes. Wait. Where's Master Carey's horse, the one he rode here?
4: We put him in the barn, Miss Carey. Well,
16: take him out. Have Tom ride him to the bottom of the West Field and turn him loose. They mustn't see that horse.
4: Well,
15: yes, ma'am, I'll
16: tell. Virgie, you come upstairs with me.
8: I'm not afraid of Yankees. Please. Sir. Hold them. I'm going
17: to Search this house here. Four of you go around the back. The rest stay with Pepper. me. Pepper. Pepper. Keep your eyes open for food and valuables. But sir. Sergeant Dudley, we have strict orders against Louise. Shut up and do as you're told. I'm in charge here.
15: Eh?
17: Yes. Open up. Open up. Yes, sir. We're looking for a spy. Is there a rebel hiding in this house? No, sir. Nobody, Tulsa. Who lives here? Uh, uh, Miss Carey, sir. Married? Uh, uh, y- yes, sir. Where's her husband? Uh, well, in the uh, army.
15: Uh, uh, Is he? Uh, y- yes. Sir. Where's she? Uh,
5: She's round. I don't know where. Sir.
17: Some of you men search the house. She's hiding someone. If she wasn't. She'd be here. Oh, yes, sir. You. Bring me a drink. really got would love to accept
15: some apple cider.
17: Well, bring me that. Uh, yes, sir. Got any food?
15: Food? Uh, no, sir. Ain't enough at all. Sergeant Dudley,
17: find anything? Yes, sir. This corn out in front of the ground near it was wet as though a horse had been watered and the saddlebags filled. There. This corn ain't been there ten minutes. The sun ain't even turned it yet. Search the stables and rush some men down to the river near the old mill. That's where he'll cross if he gets away. Yes, sir. So there was nobody hiding in this house, huh? Come here, you. I don't
15: know nothing. I don't know nothing. There.
17: Food. you didn't know that either, did you? Well, go get it and be quick about it. Come on, miss. Come
8: on. You let go of me. Take your hands off me. Easy now.
17: Easy. I found this kid hiding at the top of the stairs. It's a woman we want. Find her. Yes. Come over here. Where's your mother? Where's your mother? <laughs> All right, little lady, we're not in any hurry. We'll be here for a long time yet. Help. Yeah. Might as well be comfortable. Here. Pull these boots off for me.
8: Pull them off yourself. Did you hear what I said?
17: Now grab that boot. Down there at the heel. Now pull. Pull, don't push. Look out, you! I'll show you! You're shoving the chair over you! Next time, maybe you'll do it yourself. Come back here. I'll tan your hide, you
11: little. Come here. Come here before alone. Get out of my way. Don't you dare touch her! do you hear? Get out of my way. Oh, mother, Oh, you knocked you down the stairs. I saw what you did. I,
17: are you hurt, lady? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to push you. Don't
8: you hurt my mother. Let her alone. Let her alone. Attention! Sergeant
4: Dudley. Colonel Morrison is here. What's Morrison. What's going on here? Are you hurt, madam?
8: No. No, I'm all right.
4: Who's in command here? I am, sir. Sergeant Dudley. I might have known it would be you, Dudley.
8: you know what he did? He was going to take our corn and our food. And he wanted to hurt me. And he threw my mother down the stairs.
4: You men put that loot back where you got it. Yes, sir. Lieutenant Harris. Yes, sir. Take this man outside and give him 25 lashes. Investigate the others. If any are guilty, give them five lashes each. Yes, sir. I can't tell you how sorry I am, madam. And you too, miss. You were crying, weren't you?
8: No, I wasn't. I'm just mad. And when I tell my daddy about this... He'll
4: just go and lick your whole Yankee army. I won't blame him a bit. Here, here's my handkerchief. Now blow. Thank you. You're welcome. Madam, I'm Colonel Morrison. You're Mrs. Robert Carey, aren't you?
8: Yes.
4: Mrs. Carey, a rebel scout is known to be in the neighborhood. I'm sorry to have to question you.
16: I know nothing about him.
4: I happen to know that you do. He's your husband. You've seen him today? No. Would you tell me if you had?
16: Would you expect me to? (laughs)
4: <laughs> no, I'm afraid not.
16: Colonel
15: Morrison?
4: Yes? We just found a horse in the corral half a mile below. It shows signs of having been ridden hard in the last 20 minutes. That means he changed horses here. Send five men to the river. Put two sharpshooters on the roof of that old mill. They can cover both banks. Wait! What's that?
16: Oh, God's sake.
4: Oh. In that case, I'm afraid there's no longer any necessity for my staying. Never mind that order, Corporal. He's already across. We'll go back to camp. Yes, sir. Mrs. Carey, if you should see your husband again... I'd advise him to stay out of this section. They don't always get away from us. Good day, madam. Good day to you, little rebel.
16: Virgie, did you see his face? He was almost glad that Daddy got away.
8: He was... He was nice, wasn't he? Too bad he's a Yankee. (laughs)
4: In a moment, Mr. DeMille will bring back Shirley Temple, Claude Rains, and Preston Foster in Act Two of The Littlest Rebel. Did you ever stop to think that everything you say makes a sort of tune? Now, for instance, if you wake up feeling unhappy, you're likely to say good morning like this. Good morning. But if you wake up feeling very gay and happy, you probably say good morning. Good morning. That sounds better, doesn't it? Now, isn't it true that the woman who wakes up happy in the morning is usually the woman who looks pretty in the morning? The woman whose husband puts down his newspaper to say, how nice you look, and thinks to himself, what beautiful skin. And when you talk about beautiful skin, about the complexion care nine out of ten screen stars use, it too makes a tune. Yes, Luxe Toilet Soap. You know, Luxe Toilet Soap has come to be a sort of symbol of beauty. Know why? It's because this mild white soap has active lather that removes stale cosmetics, dust, and dirt thoroughly, gives skin the protection it needs to stay lovely. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. Act Two of The Littlest Rebel, starring Shirley Temple as Virgie Carey, Claude Raines as Captain Carey and Preston Foster as Colonel Morrison, with Lee Whipper as Uncle Billy. The months drag slowly by, the flame of war rising higher each day, laying fearful waste to home and farm. Directly in the path of destruction, in the crossfire of two armies, lies the Carey plantation. It's deserted now. For well, Mrs. Carey, Virgie, and Uncle Billy have taken refuge in the fields. For a whole day, they've watched the shells bursting near their house. And now, with night, a driving rain sweeps down upon them as they huddle close around the lantern.
15: You can't get back to the house tonight, Miss Carey. <laughs> Yankees already down by the South Field.
4: The house right in the line of fire. <laughs> Mother?
8: The shells are dropping in the yard. What about going down to. Yeah. <laughs> slave quarters.
16: Can we go there? No,
8: ma'am.
16: In there, too? Then we're safer here. We'll wait till morning, anyway.
8: <laughs> Mother, you're cold. Please take this blanket. I don't need it, Mother. Honestly, I don't. <laughs>
16: no. You keep it, darling. Put it up around your throat good and tight.
8: But, Mother. It's all right, dear.
16: I'm not a bit cold. I'm warm, really. Do as I say. All right, Mother. Captain Kelly.
8: Captain Kelly, sir.
4: Yeah? Oh, come in.
17: Sorry to disturb your rest, sir. One of
4: your slaves just came into camp. He wants to see you. One of my slaves? Yes, sir. Well, how could he have gotten through the Yankee line? We'll send him in.
15: Yes, sir. Come in here. Oh, Master Carey, thank the Lord I found you.
4: What is it, Uncle Billy? Mr.
15: Carey, says she's awful sick. Sick? Yes, sir, I'm afraid, Master Carey. She keep asking for you all the time, I'm afraid. What happened? Well, sir, they fought right in the
4: front of the house in the slave quarters. And the house burned down, sir. Miss Carey catch a death of cold. She coughed and bad. How long has this been going on? Oh, she was sick for three
15: weeks and getting worse. And living in a cabin that ain't fit for the likes of me. So I thought I'd better fetch you, sir. I've been going from camp to camp looking for you for over a week now.
4: And Virgie, is
15: Virgie all right? Oh, she's fine, sir. Never complain about nothing. Always cheerful. Been a great comfort to Miss Carey. But I was afraid Mr. Carey needs you now, sir.
0: I'll get leave right away. We'll have to take our chances
4: on getting through the Union line. Yes, sir. I got some logs in the river covered with brush. We can float down past the Union camp and cut inland and cross through the Chickahominy Swamp. All right, come on. We've got to get into the swamp
17: before
4: daybreak. Keep the logs off the bank. We're drifting into the shore. Yes, sir. Sure would be a help if we could see that bank. I never did see a dark night like this. That moon, that moon will only stay behind
0: the clouds. We'll make it.
4: Where did you say that Union
15: camp was? Just below, yes, sir. Maybe a half a mile, maybe less.
4: Were they camped on both sides of the river?
15: No, sir. Only on this side. The one we's on now.
4: How wide is the river on that point? Did you notice? uh... No, sir. I couldn't say for sure, but it's mostly narrow all the way, like about here. That means we'll have to float right down past their centers. Yes, sir. Pretty close. They could just both reach out and touch us as we go by. If, if we go by, we will. Keep low down on the raft and pull that brush up over you. Oh, I won't even breathe, Master care.
15: Except I just thinking. How are we going to pull the raft along if he's laying down? she gets get stuck awful easy in the back here.
0: We'll have to take that chance. I'll keep it out as far in the
4: middle of the stream as I can. Uh, look, Mascari. this the camp now. I see the fire. Quiet. Hear that, Mascari? Somebody playing the mouth on. It means they're still up and stirring. Maybe not. not many fires burning. Look, sir. Here comes that moon again. They can see us for sure now. Hold the raft back to me. Now work it out in the middle. Hold it. I see a soldier, sir. The water's clean. He's sitting
5: right on the edge of the bank, sir.
4: It's too late to turn back now. We'll have to go on right past him. Keep it on low. And if he stops playing, shove the raft over to the other bank and run for the trees. Understand? Yes, sir. The minute he stops playing, only I wish I hope he don't stop. Ready now? Yes, sir. Come on. it Right under the nose, Jackie's nose. Yes. He plays well, doesn't he? Yes,
3: sir.
8: You're feeling better now, aren't you, Mother?
16: I think so. Yes, dear.
8: Sure. You just stay in bed and don't try to get up. Daddy will be here soon. You'll make everything fine again. You just wait and see.
16: We mustn't be too sure, darling. And then we won't be disappointed if he can't come. Perhaps Uncle Billy couldn't get through the Yankee lines.
8: Uncle Billy can do anything. He'll bring Daddy back? I know it. Now I have my housework to do. So you just lie quiet till I finish.
16: All right. I'm very proud of you,
8: darling. I'll be right back. (laughs) Rosabelle. Are you crying? No, ma'am, Miss Virgie. I'm crying. My eyes just kind of slipped. Well, Master Carrie will be here soon, and then your eyes won't have to slip. Yes, sir. yes. Be quiet. Who is it?
4: Virgie, let us in.
8: It's Daddy. Daddy! Please, Lord, oh. he don't come. not Oh, Daddy!
4: Virgie, darling,
8: the whole Yankee army couldn't stop her. Hush, him. hush,
4: now. Close that door, Virgie. How's your mother?
8: Oh, she's much better. She's in here. Come on, Mother. Mother, look. Robert. Oh, thank heaven. Rosabelle didn't have a place for dinner.
4: Linda, Linda, Linda. How are you? Are you really better, darling?
16: I had to live until you got here, and I knew Virgie'd be safe.
4: Don't talk like that. You're going to be well, darling. I'll take you out of here. We'll go south. Far behind the line.
16: Yes. Virgie.
4: And you, Linda. You.
16: Look at me, Robert. Can't you see? It's too late, darling.
8: Linda. Put more water in the fire off the of belly.
16: Robert.
8: Don't let her see Oh, Mother, didn't I tell you Uncle Billy would find him? Wasn't I right? Yes, dear. And you don't have to leave right away this time, do you, Daddy?
4: No. No. I'll stay.
8: You see, Mother, he can stay. And the war will be over soon, and everything will be just like it used to be. We'll have our home again, and enough to eat, and and you won't have to be sick anymore. And that's all true, isn't it, Daddy? Dear, it's true. Daddy!
16: Bertie, dear. Yes, Mother. No matter what happens, you've got to be very brave.
8: Can't I be brave and still wish you weren't sick?
16: Of course, dear. But Mother won't be sick much longer now. She's going to sleep soon, darling. And if Mother can dream in her sleep. Oh, my dear one. If there are dreams in that sleep, I will dream of you,
3: Archie. Mother!
15: Go outside, Bertie. Yes. Wait for me. Uncle Billy. Yes. My mother. She's very sick. Bell,
8: says she is. Yes. I. I didn't know she was that sick. Will she get well again? Will she?
17: That ain't for
4: us to say, Miss Virgin.
8: She will. She's got to get well.
4: (laughs) Daddy. Come here, my darling.
8: What is it? Something happened to Mother?
4: Something very beautiful, darling. That's how you must always think of it. That Mother will never be ill again. Nor discouraged, nor frightened, nor hungry. And she'll never suffer any more. Just think of it as beautiful. You can stay on here, Uncle Billy. No one will bother you. I'll return as soon as I can. In the meantime, I'd like to feel that someone was taking care of things. I know, sir. I'll be here, and I'll put flowers on her grave every day. Yes, sir. Thanks. Now, there hasn't been a Yankee patrol through here since morning. There's bound to be one soon. Get Miss Burgess' things ready. You mean you're going to take Miss Burgess, would you, Captain? Yep.
15: To the Yankee line?
4: I've got to get her to my sister in Richmond. You'll be safe there. You well, can't, You can't do that, sir. We do lots of things in this war, Uncle Billy, that can't be done.
8: Open!
4: Listen.
8: Thank you, Daddy! Jakey! You. you can't
4: leave now, sir. I have to hide here. But there's a trap door I to carry up the ceiling, sir. That'll do.
8: You've got to go, Daddy. They're coming. I can't.
4: It's too late. Uncle Billy, is there a ladder to get up there? Never mind. Push that table over there. Yes, sir. Virgie, Listen. You remember how uh, mother always taught you never to tell a lie? Yes. Well, if these Yankees come, you'll have to break the rule, darling. All
8: right. What shall I say? If they
4: should stop here and question you. Tell them I was here, but I left an hour ago, and you saw me cross the river. I will. So They're coming, Master Carey. Up here, right over your head, darling. Don't be frightened when they come. Just act as though you didn't know they were oh, here. Go
15: ahead, Master Carey, please. All
4: right, sir? Yes. Now put that table back against the wall.
8: Remember, act as if nothing has happened. We will
4: close the trap door. So they're coming right now.
8: Uncle Billy, have you got your mouth organ?
15: Uh, yes, my got it.
8: Well, play something,
15: quick! I, I don't know if I can. Miss Bird, i shake shaking so. Well,
8: try. Go <laughs> on. Yes. Hello, it's you again. I'm
4: sorry to bother you. How's the littlest rebel of them all?
8: Fine, Yankee, just fine. Do
4: you mind if I come in and dry my coat at your fire?
8: No, sir, come
4: in. Thank you. You two all alone here? What? I said, are you two all alone here?
8: Oh, yes, we are.
4: Your daddy hasn't been around, has he?
8: Yes, he was, but he left an hour ago. Hmm, that's so. Yes, sir. I saw him cross the river.
4: Well, now, that's very interesting.
8: Play something else, Uncle Billy. Uh,
4: yes. Just a minute. What was your father doing here?
8: He came to see my mother. She was very sick, and she kept asking for him. So Uncle Billy went and brought him, and... And then this morning, my mother... She went away.
4: She went... Oh. I'm very sorry.
8: My daddy said... I am always think of it. It's beautiful.
4: Your daddy's right. You see, I have a little girl, too, just about your age. I'd be awfully sorry if her mother went away.
8: Are you warm enough now?
4: Yes, I think so. Good night. Good night? Just in case your father should What's the matter? You had that table out in the center of the room, eh? Oh,
8: no, sir. Oh, no, sir.
4: No? What are those tracks on the floor?
8: Them? Oh, I must have made them sweeping.
4: The table stood right here, and up there... Is that a trap door in the ceiling?
8: There's nothing up there, nothing at all.
4: You've been lying to me.
8: No, sir, I haven't.
4: Your father is here now.
8: He isn't, he isn't. You know he is. He was here, but he left an hour ago. I saw him cross the river. You tell me the truth. It is the truth. Tell
4: me or I'll give you the worst licking you ever had in your life.
8: No, no. Just a minute. Daddy, get back. I'm
4: coming down. I thought that it would fetch you. Drop down and keep your hands in the air. Now, back up against that wall. You got a pistol? Inside my coat. I'll take that. All right, you can put your hands down now.
8: Daddy, I didn't do it right, did
4: I? Yes, you did. I'm proud of you, Birdie. I
8: said just what you told me to.
4: And you were perfect. I was only fooling about that licking. I wasn't really going to do it. Go inside, dear. Daddy will call you. Take her inside, Uncle Billy. Yes, sir. Yes. Can you arrange it so that my arrest won't frighten her? I'll try. Thanks. Got any papers on you? No. I'm not scouting this trip, Colonel. I came home to bury my dead. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. Come on. Let's get it over with. I'm ready to leave now. You don't want to see the little girl? I'd rather not. I don't believe I could stand it. You were going to leave her here alone? I was going to take her to Richmond. You can tell her that... Well, tell her the war is almost over and I'll... I'll be home soon. I wish that were true. Captain, I don't think my country expects me to make war on babies. If you get that child to Richmond, it's all right with me. Here, take this. What is it? A pass through our lines.
6: A pass, but...
4: Now, uh, if you were in a Yankee uniform, you might make it. Otherwise, I doubt it. you have a choice. Of course, you realize what it means if you're caught. You're taking an awful chance yourself, Colonel. War is full of chances. Do you know the Cartwright Plantation? Well. They've got a carriage and a couple of horses. I left a uniform there to be mended by the slaves. If you wanted to steal it from me, I don't know how I could stop you.
17: I won't forget this, Colonel.
4: I hope you get through. Thanks. There's just one thing I want you to promise. In passing through our lines, whatever you see or hear, forget. My word of honor. You'd better leave right now. Virgie, come in. Get out the back way. Follow the woods to Cartwright's. I'll keep my men here for half an hour. Virgie, put your coat on. Hurry.
8: Daddy, is the Yankee going to help us? Yes,
4: darling. The Yankee's going to help us. You see, you made me think of my little girl.
8: Oh, well... I hope you get home to see her soon.
4: Thank you. Goodbye, Colonel. Good luck, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye, little rebel.
8: You know something? You're nice enough to be a confederate. (laughs) Daddy, this isn't the same road we used to take to Richmond.
4: I know, honey. We're going the long way around. I'd rather not meet anyone if we can help it.
8: Well, you've got a Yankee uniform on. And didn't that man give you a pass to show them?
4: Yes, but the Yanks around here might recognize me. I don't want to use the pass to get out of this neighborhood.
8: This isn't a very nice neighborhood anyway. oh.
4: No. Alton! Alton! Where are you going, mister? I'm taking this child to her father, just beyond our lines. Colonel Morrison sent me. Here's our pass. Where'd you come from? The Kearys Plantation. I've left that noon. Why aren't you using the main road? I'm full of artillery, going the other way. Well, this looks all right, but I don't know. We got orders to be on the watch for a rebel scout. They caught him this morning. They did? Morrison's men at his own plantation. Oh. What's your regiment? 72nd, Vermont. That's all right, then. The camp's just a mile below here. Go ahead. Thanks.
17: Wait! Hold that
8: carriage. Come here, Judge.
4: Just a minute, mister. Daddy,
8: that other man. It's the same one who came to the house. The one who hurt Mother.
4: Quiet, darling. Keep your face covered.
8: Did I hear
17: somebody say something about Colonel Morrison?
4: I did. I just came from him. Here's my pass.
17: Yeah? Whose kid is this? A friend of Colonel Morrison's. A friend on the other side of our lines? Well, there's been heavy fighting south of here. The lines change every day. Let me see that kid. Come on, look up. Give me a light over here. Listen, I have a pass. Never mind the pass. I want to see that kid. Come here. Let me alone. Yeah, I thought so. Ever seen me before? No. No, but I've seen you. Hold this, kid Judson. Your old man is the most dangerous scout in the Rebel Army. And you, Mister, we want to speak to you too. Get out of the way! Stop! Stop that carriage! He's a Rebel spy! Help! Help! Stop
8: behind us! They're coming closer, Daddy.
4: Get down on the floor. I'm going to stop at the bottom of this hill. Then, we'll run for the woods.
8: All right, Daddy. but hurry. Hurry. Give
4: me a hand. Now.
8: Jump. Come on. Out there. Look. There's more of them. They're coming the other way. Oh! Don't shoot. Don't shoot. I got my child. Run right where you are. Don't shoot. My child. Hold your back. There's a little girl with her. Daddy, we can
4: tell it. Come on. No, dear. I'm afraid we're licked. Don't move, mister. You're armed?
9: No. Take care of that girl, Harris. You come along with me, mister. You're under arrest. <laughs>
15: After a
4: brief intermission, Mr. DeMille will return with Shirley Temple, Claude Rains, and Preston Foster in Act Three of The Littlest Rebel. Now, a day with Mary Kay, Secretary.
16: Yes, Mr. Jones, coming. Mr. Jones' office. In a minute, Mr. Jones. Yours of the fourth received. Right away, Mr. Jones. Sorry, Mr. Jones is in conference. Oh, all right. No, sorry, he's still in conference. The contract to refer to... Mr. Jones' office. Wait a minute, please, I'm coming.
4: And so, Mary Kay has quite a day of it. She works late and gets home a little out of breath. Because, as luck would have it, she has, that night, a big, a very big date. She hasn't time for a nap, but she knows what to do. She draws a tub of warm water, gets in, and relaxes completely. Yes, Lux Toilet Soap. That's the soap she uses. She covers herself all over with its rich, fragrant lather. Yes, active lather that makes her sure of skin that's really fresh. She steps out of her luxe toilet-soap beauty bath, feeling like a million, buzzers and phone bells forgotten. In no time at all, she's ready, dressed in a very gay frock, off for an evening that's sure to be gay, off with a proud young man who's sure to say nice things. Mary, what makes you so sweet? We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. on the third act of The Littlest Rebel starring Shirley Temple as Virgie Carey Claude Rains as Captain Carey and Preston Foster as Colonel Morrison with Lee Whipper as Uncle Billy and Frank McGlynn as Abraham Lincoln Arrested as a rebel spy Captain Carey was taken before a military court to be tried and sentenced but he was not alone. Another man stood trial with him, Colonel Morrison, accused of treason. And the sentence passed upon both was death. In adjoining cells of a Yankee prison, two men await news of their appeal. And one night it comes, as a Union officer stops in the corridor outside Carey's cell. Captain Carey? Yes, sir? I'm afraid I've got to give you some bad news, Captain. The appeal was denied. Yes. Every finding of the court was upheld. I see. And that... When does the party take place? The morning of the 27th. At dawn. Well, I still have six days. Are there any messages you want sent? I'd be glad to do anything I can, Captain. You've done enough already, sir. Is my little girl all right? Oh, yes. We sent for that old slave of yours. He arrived this morning. He's looking after her. She has a room with Mrs. Robinson on the next street. Thanks. You've been very kind, Major. Colonel Morrison? Yes, I know. I heard you. No chance at all, huh? No. I'm sorry, Colonel. He's innocent, Major. All he did was to try to help a child. The evidence we couldn't overcome, Colonel, was the fact that you not only gave Captain Carey a pass... But he was wearing your uniform. I stole that uniform. We couldn't make them believe that. I'll be around, Colonel, if there's anything you want done. Thanks, Major. Well, it was a gamble and we lost. I haven't any regrets. When I think of my own baby, I'd do the same thing over again. If helping a child is treason, I'm afraid I come of a family of traitors. 3.30.
8: 3.30. He says it makes his afternoon seem shorter.
15: That's hard and fast
8: as I keep, Miss Virgie. Do you think they'll keep him locked up much longer?
4: No, Miss Virgie. I expect they'll take him out pretty soon now.
8: I hope so. You know, last night when I said my prayers, I asked God to let Daddy out of there, and and I asked him for a new dress, too. And then I thought maybe that was too much to ask so I said he didn't have to bother about the dress. There's no use taking any chances, is there?
15: No, ma'am. That was right. But if you want that dress, I'll kind of slip uh, a little hint in my prayers tonight.
8: All right. Oh, before I forget, Uncle Billy, when we get there today with Daddy, if you look sad like you did yesterday, I'll never take you again.
4: Oh, no, Miss Worcester. I, I-, I won't look sad.
8: See that you don't now, we've got to smile to show them that we're happy.
4: Yeah.
8: Oh, Come on, come on now.
4: Tell me everything you've been doing. Well... I don't get much news in here.
8: Well, I sewed up a hole in my dress. And this morning, I helped Mrs. Robinson with the housework. She's awfully nice.
4: I'm sure of it. Go on.
8: Daddy, when are they going to let you out?
4: I thought we weren't going to talk about that. Now, tell me... Tell me what else you've been doing.
8: Well, there's a little girl who lives across the street, and she has a pony. She let me ride it yesterday.
4: That was grand.
8: And she invited me in for lunch. She's a Yankee, of course, but she said she didn't care whether I was a rebel or not, and I said I didn't care whether she was a Yank. <laughs> Even if there is a war, she was awfully nice to me. Daddy, when she was so nice, and Colonel Morrison so nice, and Mrs. Robinson, why did the rest of the people have to kill each other?
4: I don't know, honey. Perhaps someday when we grown-ups learn to have as much sense as you children, there won't be any more wars.
15: Right, there. Miss Burgess, we got to go
4: now.
8: Not yet, Uncle Billy.
4: The Major Man says so. We got things we got to do. Perhaps you better, darling. Then tomorrow you can come again.
8: All right. Goodbye, Daddy.
4: You're not leaving without saying goodbye to me, are you?
8: No, sir. Goodbye, Colonel Morrison. Tomorrow, when I come, I'll do all my talking with you.
4: Mm, you switch around, eh? Huh?
8: Well, you see, you tried to help us, so I've made you a sort of a sort of second, Daddy. Do you mind?
4: Thank you. Nothing so nice has ever happened to me.
8: Goodbye, Yankee.
4: Goodbye, little rebel. Hi, Miss Worthy. we got to hurry up fast. What's
8: the matter, Uncle Billy? Where are we going? Listen,
4: that major man, he gave me some money, and he wrote a letter for us to give to some man up there in Washington.
8: In Washington?
15: Yes. That's where we got to go right now. All the way to Washington. The major man say it's the only way. But I don't know if we've got enough money to get that.
8: Who's the letter to?
15: I don't know. Some man. A big, important man. He wrote his name right here on the letter.
8: Let me see.
15: There it is. What do you say, Miss Worthy?
8: To Mr. Mr. Abe Lincoln.
15: Abe Lincoln? Who he? <laughs> Lisa, uh, h- how much is the railroad fare for a colored man to
4: what? Six dollars and twenty cents. And how much for this little girl? Well, she's a little too tall for half fare.
8: Oh no, I'm not. I'm standing on my toes. This is my right size. See?
4: Well, don't get down any lower, Miss, or you'll be kneeling. All right. Five dollars and sixty cents for you, first class. Thank you. That will be eleven eighty altogether. Eleven eighty. We got that much, Miss No.
8: No. Mr. All we have is seven dollars.
4: I'm sorry. Eleven
15: eighty. Now what are we gonna do?
8: How do people get money, Uncle Billy?
15: I don't know. I never had no money.
8: I know. Remember the time Daddy took us to the fair? There was somebody singing in the street, and a man with a hat was passing through the crowd. Come on, come on, Uncle Billy. We'll get that money right away. Help the cause! White boy, help the cause! Which cause? Why the right
5: cause?
4: I don't put
17: no money in a Confederate hat.
4: Uh-oh, right should and boss? See, I brought the wrong Union hat. Just in case.
17: Oh, that's different. Here,
4: uh, thank you, sir. Uh, help the
3: cause! Help the cause!
4: Mr. Lincoln, will see you
15: now. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Come in, please.
8: Come right in. Good morning, sir. Good morning. We we had an appointment.
15: Let me see. It's written down here somewhere. Oh, yes. Miss Virginia Carey and Uncle Billy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. President. I'm Thank pleased to meet you, Miss Carey.
8: Thank you, sir.
15: And how are you, Uncle Billy? Me? Oh, me. How's fine, sir. Good. Now, let's see. Major Thomas wrote me about this case. Suppose you sit right down over here, Miss Carey, and tell me all about it.
8: Yes, sir.
15: Excuse me, I was peeling an apple here. You mind if I go right ahead?
8: Oh, no, sir.
15: Fine. I'll give you some when it's ready. Well, Miss Carey?
8: Mr. President, my daddy and Colonel Morrison are in prison, and they're going to shoot them.
15: Mm Mm-hmm. Your father is a captain in the Confederate Army, isn't he?
8: Yes, sir.
15: Arrested as a spy. He
8: isn't a spy.
15: No. Do you know what a spy is?
8: I know it's something bad because they shoot you for it. And my daddy couldn't do anything bad.
15: I don't see how he could either with a little one like you. Have a piece of apple.
8: Thank you kindly, sir.
15: Now, tell me about it.
8: My daddy went away to the war. And then the Yankees came around our house. And sometimes my daddy came home.
15: Was he in uniform? Yes, sir. What color? Gray. I see. Have another piece of apple?
8: No, that's yours. I had the last piece.
15: That's right. Thank you. Then what happened, Miss Carey?
8: Well, then there were so many Yankees around, my daddy couldn't come home anymore. And then our house burnt down, and we had to move into a cabin, and... Oh, excuse me, but that's my piece. You had the last one.
15: I... I beg your pardon.
8: You forgot, that's all. Well... Then my mother got sick. And she kept asking for Daddy all the time. So Uncle Billy went and brought him home. And then... Then she was going away. She said she was going to sleep.
15: I understand. But you mustn't cry. Please don't. I won't. What happened next?
8: Then the 80s came. And my Daddy had to hide in the garret. And Colonel Morrison came in. He talked to me. He's awfully nice. Yes, little girl, too. Just my age. Then he found Daddy. And Daddy told him about wanting to take me to my Aunt Caroline in Richmond so I could get enough to eat.
15: Yes, yeah, sir. That's why the colonel gave Master Carrie to pass Just so he could bring Miss Virgie where she could get taken care of. I see. Now, on this trip, before your daddy was captured, did he write anything down on a paper or anything? No, sir. Did he ever stop and look at the Yankee soldiers or count them? Or look at the cannon?
8: No, sir. He told me that if we got to Richmond and anyone asked me what I'd seen, I was in honor bound not to tell them.
15: He told you that?
8: Yes, sir. Because Colonel Morrison asked him not to see anything. And my daddy gave his word, and they shook hands.
15: Just a moment. Mr. Harper! Yes, Mr. President? I want you to deliver this message for me.
8: Mr. President?
15: Yes, Miss Carrie?
8: You won't let them shoot my daddy and Colonel Morrison, will you?
15: Hopper, rush this by special courier. Yes, Mr. President. You know, Miss Carey, they accuse me of pardoning too many people. But it seems to me that the natural hazards of war are sufficient in themselves without us adding to them. Is this your piece of apple?
8: No, it's yours. I had the last piece. Oh, Mr. President. Mr.
15: President. Now, 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 now. All your terrible fears are over. The note I just sent was to General Grant. Your father and Colonel Morrison are going free.
4: You're released. You're being exchanged. This pass will see you through our lines. Thanks, Major. Thank you. Colonel Morrison, will you please report to your own regiment? I'll leave at once. Very good, sir. Good day, gentlemen. Good day. Bye. Well, Captain, I'll say goodbye. Goodbye, sir.
8: Goodbye, Yankee.
4: Goodbye, Rebel. Thank you for fixing things up with Mr. Lincoln. Perhaps we'll all meet again sometime. Not until the war is over, I hope. We'll pray for that, sir.
8: Oh, that won't be long.
4: You seem pretty sure about it.
8: I am. You see, Mr. Lincoln and I talked it all over. I think we're going to fix that up, too.
4: Escorted by such gallant gentlemen as Claude Rains and Preston Foster, Shirley Temple
8: returns now to our
4: microphone. Her first curtain call in the Lux Radio Theater. Well, Shirley, Mr. DeMille's a pretty tough boss, isn't he?
8: I didn't take any chances, Mr. Rains. I did what he told me.
4: (laughs) We didn't have any trouble, did we, Shirley?
8: Honest, Mr. DeMille, I could hardly wait until school was over every day so I could get here for rehearsal.
4: You're sure you weren't just anxious to get out of school?
8: I guess you went to school... Mr. Foster.
4: (laughs) (laughs) What are you studying now, geography?
8: Yes, and history and arithmetic and English. I certainly hope I pass that arithmetic.
4: Shirley, my sympathy. I never really enjoyed life until I got through with arithmetic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still a bit weak on spelling. But don't get discouraged, Shirley. The main thing is to, well, get a good secretary.
8: Well, I want to thank you all for being so nice to me all week. I listen to the Lux Radio Theater a lot, Mr. DeMille, And I've used Lux soap ever since I can remember. My mother says that we've had it at home since I was a tiny little girl. I think it's grand. Mm.
4: Mothers always know best, Shirley, about everything, including Lux soap. What play are you doing next week, CB? Next Monday night, we have a play about one of the theater's most glamorous women. And in the title role, we present one of Hollywood's most glamorous stars. Alice Faye and Lillian Russell. You'll hear Edward Arnold in his famous portrayal of Diamond Jim Brady and Victor Mature as Alexander Moore. Lillian Russell's life was a play in itself, a life of romance, drama, and applause. But we'll tell that story next Monday night in our adaptation of the 20th century Fox screen hit, Lillian Russell.
8: I want to listen to that, Mr. DeMille. It sounds like a swell show.
4: I'll hear it in Canada, C.B., and I'm off right now for that Northwest Monopolis premiere. Good night. Good luck, Preston, and good night, C.B. Goodbye,
8: Mr. DeMille.
4: Good night. Good night. You go to the head of the class, Jerry. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Alice Fay, Edward Arnold, and Victor Mature in the delightful play, Lillian Russell. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from... Hollywood. <laughs> Heard in tonight's play were B. Benedetta as Mrs. Carey, Avon Jackson as Sally Ann, Warren Ash as Union Officer, Lou Merrill as Dudley, Jack Carr as Tom, Bernice Pilot as Roosevelt, Walter White as Corporal, Griff Barnett as Ticket Agent, Edwin Max as Sentry, and Charles Seal and Dwayne Thompson. The children were played by Bobby Larson, Barbara Jean Wong, Tommy Lane, Dix Davis, Harriet Flowers, Donald Brown, and Pauline James. Here's an important announcement. Uncle Jim's Question B, which so many of you enjoy, is now on the air Tuesday nights instead of Wednesday. See your local newspaper or radio magazine for details. Claude Rains will soon be seen on the screen in the Warner Brothers picture, Four Mothers. Preston Foster has just completed Moon Over Burma at Paramount. Our music is directed by Louis Silvers. And your announcer has been Melville Roy. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Guys and gals, I'm sorry to say, but it's that time again where I have to say bye to you and uh, invite you to come back and visit me on the 13th for more good old-time radio shows and fun. And um, um, I want to make sure that you have our contact information. If you want to email Victor, he's at who's life is it anyway at gmail.com. If you want to email me, I am at it's called afternoon radio theater sunday S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com. Remember that Sunday being like ice cream. Afternoon Radio Theater sunday at gmail dot com. Uh if you want to follow us on Twitter at Blind Who's if you want to follow me on Twitter I'm at moni 6-0 on Facebook I'm just Monica Jones and uh If you want to, ask, oh, I already gave you my email address. It just seems like I'm forgetting something, but I can't think what it is. Uh, but anyway, I think you have all the contact information now. Um, but give us a give us a buzz. Give give me an email if you you know got anything in particular that you'd like to hear. Um, and um, I'll see you next time. And I'll try to find whatever it is I don't have. Bye-bye. Take care.